0: The following presentation is brought to you by The Mutual Network. Better living through audio.
1: The
2: following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult.
1: Notebook of Ernest Ray, reporter for the New York Chronicle Sun. Friday, December 13th, 1940. I was in the warehouse of J. Clyde Enterprises, a manufacturer of floats, displays, and mechanical statues for commercial and retail companies. Remember last year's Macy's Parade? Mr. Clyde's company designed and rigged about half the behemoths floating down Fifth Avenue. This year, almost all of them were from this very warehouse, as were the storefront displays of mechanical Santas, snowmen, and elves. Little was known about a company with such a public presence. And that got my reporter's tusks in a
3: tingle. Is everything in place? Duh. I mean it. The advent is twelve days away. It will to be running on all sixes, Dimitri. All sixes. Show me. Observe. Oh
1: my! Santa was taking awkward, lumbering steps. It was walking. There weren't any visible supports or guides. And it wasn't running on a track. It was just a a mechanical marching Santa Claus. There was a column about twelve feet away from the Santa. It looked to be as wide around as a telephone pole. A pencil-point-sized beam of green light came from the clapper of the bell, hit the column to the right, and traveled quickly to the left, burning a sliver through the steel. It was over in less than ten seconds. My. God, what kind of weapon was this? I had read about a peace beam a couple of years back. That crazy scientist, Tesla, said he could- As I said. Running on all sixes. Good.
3: Get the rest of these loaded. She will want a progress report in the morning and a test in a few days.
1: When did a glorified toy manufacturer become a weapons dealer? And more importantly, whom was he working for? Those accents were not from Brooklyn. Suddenly I smelled rotten fish.
4: What are you doing here, Pally?
1: Uh, I'm, uh, from the building inspector's office. Let's you and I go talk to Dimitri. That, uh, that won't be necessary. Uh, your people will have a, a copy of my report. Hey! Take your hands off of me. What do you think you're doing? I'm a government official.
3: Well, what do we have here? He says he's a building inspector. Uh,
1: Hey, are you going to kill me? Who knows you're here? Uh, Everyone. My editor, my girlfriend. People know where I am. You can't kill me. Is that it? Anyone else? Dimitri, listen. This doesn't have to get any worse. Just, Just let me go. I'm going to show
3: you something, kid. Something rarely seen here.
1: Please. Don't. Please. I won't say anything. Please. Don't beg. Be a
3: man.
1: What are you? Are those tentacles? Oh, please. No.
0: No.
5: Magic and magical people. The unnatural order is all around us. There are white witches, black witches, demons, vamps, werewolves, shapeshifters, ghosts... It's a protoplasmic party of creature features out there. But unless you know where to look, you won't find them. I know where to look. My name is Harry Strange. It was December 17th, and I was in the apartment of one Ernest Ray. Christmas Eve was a week away, yet this guy already had a present under the tree in his apartment. The smell of pine needles hung in the air. There wasn't a name on the box but betting money said it was either a watch or a necklace. His bedroom was tidy. A neatly made single bed was against the wall under a window. The closet was an assortment of suits, white shirts, and well-worn black and brown shoes. On the dresser was a picture of Ernie and some bird. Pretty one. It looked like he was dizzy with her. Based on the bird's body language, the dizziness was not reciprocated. Poor Ernie had a serious case of unrequited love. I don't usually do missing person cases unless a voodoo doll or something otherworldly is involved. My friend Danny D'Angelo reached out to me when his star reporter went Amelia Earhart sometime Friday or Saturday night. Why not just call the cops? To understand that, you have to understand how competitive the newspaper business is in New York City. There are 14 daily papers, both morning and evening, competing for your nickel. Word that the Chronicle Sun star reporter went missing would start a feeding frenzy among the other papers. Better to keep things discreet until... Hello, what do we have here? Portable Underwood typewriter? Let's see... The paper in the typewriter was blank. I rolled it out. I took a pencil from the neatly organized desk and rubbed it lightly across the sheet. Nothing. The carriage had impressions of letters from articles past, but nothing usable. Next to the typewriter was a notepad. This time, the pencil trick revealed a partial number and a couple of faintly visible names. The drawers were as organized as the desk. That made it easier for me to pick through them. D'Angelo told me what he knew and what to look for, but unless I saw the name John Clyde, I didn't know what was wheat and what was chaff. Interesting. Someone else had a key to Ernest Ray's apartment. I ducked under the bed. It was a tight fit.
6: Five days ago, my best friend went missing. He thought something like this may happen, and what I should do if it did.
5: A set of heels supporting some of the tightest pins I'd ever seen glided into the bedroom and cut a path to the desk. After some fumbling around, I heard another set of keys. She unlocked a bottom drawer on the desk and took out some items I couldn't see. She closed the drawer, not bothering to lock it.
6: I found the notes. J. Clyde Enterprises. I took the files and headed for the door. I didn't want to stay here any longer than necessary.
5: The bird walked past me again and was almost to the door when she stopped and turned around. I couldn't tell what stopped her. She walked back towards the bedroom. I tried to look at her face, but it was impossible from my angle under the bed.
6: I could still smell Ernie's pomade. (sighs)
5: She sat on the bed. Good thing she wasn't a hardy woman. As it was, I was pinned between the springs and the floor. I couldn't move without drawing her attention.
6: He was a good guy, and he had such a crush on me since high school. I will find out what happened to you, Ernie. I promise.
5: After a few moments, she stood up and walked toward the door. I counted to ten after I heard her lock the deadbolt from the outside. Following her would be too risky. I assumed I would know who she was by the end of the week. It turned out to be much sooner.
0: I am sorry about Mr. Ray, Mr. Strange, but I don't know how I can help you.
5: According to Mr. Ray's editor, he was coming up here to see you. And, as you can
0: see, he isn't here. By tomorrow, none of this will be here. It's our final push for delivery for the holidays.
5: Right, the holiday dummies.
0: They're more than dummies or balloons Mr. Strange. My tequinos represent the latest in radio control technology.
5: Is that why Ernest Ray was investigating you? The big toys?
0: I honestly don't know if you're purposefully rude or just confused. Please, come with me.
5: I followed John Clyde from his office and down the hall to the main warehouse. He was a dumpy man pushing 50. Plain, except for his garish watch.
0: Mind the steps, Mr. Strange. They can be a bit slippery.
5: We walked across a long catwalk over the top of the main warehouse. The workers below were as busy as elves on Christmas Eve. There didn't seem to be many crates left. Clyde led me down a spiral staircase to the main floor.
0: Our tequinos are not toys, and they are certainly not dummies.
5: What happened to that pole over there? It looks like something burned through it.
0: I don't know. It looks like welding damage. Ivan, hold up a second.
5: Ivan was a burly Joe with no visible neck. I had the feeling Ivan could crush someone's skull to sour mash and still enjoy a borscht sandwich when he was done.
0: I want to give Mr. Strange a demonstration. Go eat your lunch. This electronic technology is based on the works of wireless technology. Are you familiar with that?
5: My brother was. I'm not much of a science guy.
0: You should be, Mr. Strange. The world is changing. We are on the cusp of a major shift in thinking and living you know that they say Hitler has a device like a rocket that can be radio-controlled to hit a target anywhere in the world? Sorry, not much of a political guy either. You do know that Europe is entrenched in a war with a monster unlike any the world has ever seen.
5: I could have told Mr. Clyde that there were monsters out there as bad as any
0: human mother could produce.
5: Some were worse. I could have told him how a monster that survived on human blood gutted my brother. I could have told Mr. Clyde how my wife was converted into one of these exsanguinating monsters, and I was forced to cut off her head. I could have told Mr. Clyde the monsters we thought existed only in nightmares and penny dreadfuls were real. I could have. Instead, I settled for... I do read the papers, Mr. Clyde. Is this going
0: somewhere? The science you see here is just a fraction of what's possible using wireless electronics. Observe.
5: He flipped a switch on the box. Smiling like a gleeful child on Christmas morning, he pushed a small lever. In spite of myself, I stepped back when the black-booted Santa Claus trudged out of the crate. Santa marched towards the center of the room. He was a traditional Santa, red suit, black gloves. Over one shoulder was a red sack, and his other hand yelled a glimmering golden bell. He stopped, did a right face, and marched slowly towards me. He raised his right hand, and for a moment, he pointed his bell at me.
7: Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, Mr. Strange!
0: Well, Mr. Strange, is my tequino just a dummy? No, Mr.
5: Clyde, it's definitely not a dummy. I'm not sure what it is. Who orders these things?
0: This has been a banner year for us. We've sold out our entire inventory, even had to add more men to meet the demand. They went to hotels, the mayor's office, department stores.
5: Sounds like a ducky year.
0: I couldn't be more pleased. It's been quite profitable.
5: You know, Mr. Clyde, in my business we have a saying. Follow the money. And so far, all the money leads to you.
0: You are free to look around and talk to any of my employees. I have nothing to hide. I do hope you find that reporter.
5: Oh, I will find him. And you don't want to be the person responsible for him having gone missing.
6: I was in the office of Lawrence Larry Stanley, editor-in-chief of the New York Enquirer. This could be big, Larry. I want this story.
8: You're a society reporter, Poppy, not a newsie. No need to bother yourself with a business article. Let the men handle that.
6: I am just as capable as any Joe out there.
8: Of course you are, honey. But what had you all goat up about J. Clyde Enterprises, anyway?
6: There's something not right about them. Look at this. Last year, they were doing okay, not great, but certainly better than most companies.
8: What you got there?
6: P&L statements and proformas. But look here. About six months ago, they had a huge
8: influx of cash. How did you get a hold of their accounting documents?
6: Does it matter? Anyway, all of a sudden, these guys are providing the entire city with these mechanical displays.
8: So they got a loan. Unless you can prove they were in cahoots with somebody, this ain't exactly news.
6: If it were a legitimate loan, there would be paperwork to go along with it. No. This was someone funneling money into the organization. Mobsters, maybe? And there's something else. A girlfriend of mine who is a secretary over at the Chronicle Sun told me they have a reporter in deep at J. Clyde Enterprises, and they'll be publishing something soon. What if we could beat them?
8: Boy, that sure would be something, huh? The Inquirer beating the Chronicle Sun. A sort of modern-day David and Goliath. Let me think about this. You're right, Poppy. This could be huge. I think you're definitely cooking with gas on this one. Good job. Thank you. I think we should interview workers from... I'm going to give it to Lance. What?
6: It's my story, Larry.
8: I brought it to you. I can't trust this with you. Ah, uh, horse feathers. Th- that's not what I meant. All I'm saying is that I need someone who is familiar with this type of writing. Someone who knows the lay of the land.
6: Someone with a penis?
8: Ms. Hollow, need I remind you that type of vulgarity will not be tolerated in my office. If you are not prepared to act like a young lady, you will not be employed here any longer. Do I make myself clear?
6: Yes, boss.
8: Good. Now I want you to get these papers over to Lance right away and tell him everything you just told me. And don't be sad. I'm doing this to protect you. Right. Uh, Listen, Poppy. I I was going to give this to Dorothy, but I think you're much better suited for it. I want you to get an interview with Nikola Tesla. You know who he is? The recluse scientist? The one Edison hated? Yeah, that's the guy. He's been living at the New Yorker Hotel for years. This Christmas Eve, rumor has it he is going to appear at the New Yorker Christmas Ball. It's going to be a real swanky shindig, and I want you to be there. Thanks. As difficult as it may be, try not to overwhelm me with your gratitude. Uh, I can still give the assignment to Dorothy, you know.
6: I am excited. You want me to go to a swanky party for the paper? That means new dress and shoes all paid for by the Inquirer. How could a girl turn that down?
8: Well, look, just go easy on the dress. The publisher almost had a heart attack over how much you spent on boots for the last event. I want you to contact Tesla's social director and... Why
6: would a reclusive scientist have a social director?
8: How should I know? He's a mad scientist. The social director's name is, uh... Eh, Here it is. Uh, Azar Cross. Her office is in the same hotel. And make sure you get that interview before the Chronicle Sun.
6: I'll call today. Is there anything else?
8: No. Uh, Yes. uh, Just get those notes over to Lance right away. I want him to drop everything else and get on this J. Clyde Enterprises story. This could be huge.
6: Yes, Larry. It could be.
5: Tell me again how you just happened to show up at my crime scene, Strange. I told you. I was stopping by with some coffee and crullers. Danny and I were friends. You? You're friends with the editor-in-chief of the Chronicle Sun? I have friends. Just not in this room.
2: Interesting that you said you were friends. Why the past tense? You know something?
5: Really, Jesse? Is that how you want to play this?
2: We're not playing anything, and it's Lieutenant Swift, New York City Police Department. Try to remember that. Now, why did you say D'Angelo and you were friends?
5: (sighs) Fine. It's 830 at night. I pull up to my friend's house and there are two squad cars and the meat wagon parked out front. I can smell royal crown hair pomade, so I know my friend Dexter from the lab was recently in this room. Under that smell is the odor of death. If something had happened to Danny's wife, you'd have let me see him by now. Since he hasn't greeted me, I can assume something bad happened to him. Finally, since you're a homicide detective of mediocre skill, I can safely guess that my friend is dead. Am I missing anything? You don't seem too broken up by it. I'm a crying on the inside type of guy. Are you going to let me see him? Here's my problem, Strange.
2: He called me yesterday and said one of his star reporters and Ernest Ray was missing. Now, suddenly you show up here the night he goes to the big sleep. I gotta think that's a little more than coincidental. If I find out you're holding back on me, I'll pull your ticket and toss you in a closet
5: on Rikers Island. You cut me to the quick. Have I ever held back from you, Lieutenant? I walked to the kitchen. The smell of putrefaction hovered in the air like a hooker's stale perfume. Someone busted in the back door and left it hanging on its hinges. Dexter was working behind a blue contamination sheet.
9: Harry, great to see you. This is right up your alley, pal.
5: Dexter was a good guy, though a little too enthusiastic about his work. He'd been on scene at a couple of my unnatural order cases and worked them with an open and intelligent mind. I steeled myself for the worst. I had seen bodies in many states of decay and decomposition. I'd seen bodies torn apart by claws, fangs, and one unfortunate who was crushed by a naga. This, however...
9: Gruesome, huh?
5: I was looking at my friend's body. Danny's face was ashen-colored and a dull yellow pallor clung to his eyes like ripe skin on a corpse. His tongue was purple and protruding.
9: Looks like strangulation, right?
5: Or a hanging. That's the expression of a man who was killed violently.
9: That's what I thought, but look at his neck.
5: I pushed the collar of Danny's shirt aside. Bluish veins bulged from his flesh. A strangulation this savage would have deep grooves from a weapon, or at least bruising from the fingers that snuffed out my friend's life. Danny's neck was clean. Maybe the killer used a towel or a scarf?
9: Perhaps. But this is where it gets really interesting. Here, take this.
5: He handed me a bottle of vapor rub and drew a line with his finger under his nose. I put my finger in the menthol mixture and then rubbed it across my top lip close to my nostrils. Dexter jerked the fire blanket off D'Angelo. The smell made my eyes water and I fought to keep my lunch from crawling out of my stomach. A spiderweb pattern of greenish black veins covered Danny's chest and abdomen. The area around his belly button had balled up like curdles of cottage cheese and collapsed in, exposing his liquefied intestines. Good God, Dexter. It looks like he went through a meat grinder. Dexter pulled the blanket the rest of the way back. Danny's legs looked like ground beef in a coagulating red-purple pus. His feet and lower calves were... gone. Just a viscid mass of goo remained in their place. What the hell?
9: There's one more thing. I wanted you to see this before I showed Lieutenant Swift.
5: Dexter gently lifted Danny's shoulder. A jagged hole peeked out like an empty eye socket just above his shoulder blade. At first I thought it was a bullet hole, but no slug I knew of made an entry wound like that. Dexter nodded and I looked closer. On the ground, under the body was a four-inch, pinkish-white shell of some type. It looked... organic. I think it's a tentacle. Like from an octopus?
9: Some type of cephalopod.
5: We're a good distance from the ocean. And any river.
9: Well, it's not as if I'm suggesting an octopus killed Mr. D'Angelo.
5: No. How long before you tell the lieutenant about the tentacle?
9: I can delay the details for about a day no longer than that
5: my money is on poison hand me the tweezers I picked up the tentacle with the tweezers and sniffed. damn that's foul it smells like rotting fish and sewer gas always the poet the lieutenant is walking this way I put the tentacle back and stood up I was almost to the door when lieutenant Swift stopped me
2: hang on a minute strange I want you to talk to Danny's wife
5: why you were friends with her husband I thought maybe you'd want to console her in her time of grief. If you were the kind of guy with feelings, I might believe you. Why do you really want me to talk to her?
2: Because she's talking crazy. I know that you sometimes dabble in things that are a little outside the regular purview of the police department. Perhaps you can make some sense out of it.
5: My eyes were buggy and I had all the fixings of the type of headache that makes me want to carve open the top of my skull with a handsaw just to relieve the pressure. I swallowed a dose of headache powder. It was almost midnight, and I was hitting my grimoires looking for clues. Between the state of the body, the fishy stinger, and Margot D'Angelo's account of events at the scene, I was convinced this crime was indeed well outside the purview of the New York City Police Department. (sighs) Hundreds of handwritten and drawn pages of demons and nothing matching the description Margot provided. Who knew there were so many unnaturals? I swapped grimoires. This one contained close to a thousand pages of known poltergeists, werewolves, ghosts, and other supernatural beings. It even included lineage. And, in case you're wondering, a lichen line does run through the European royals. But nothing about the... I don't even know what to call them.
10: They have many names, my champion.
5: Gabriella, my lady, my angel... Is that a new look for you? Fiery sword and breastplates?
10: There is a war going on, or haven't you heard?
5: Yeah, I read something about that in the paper. I've been a little busy. Since when do angels fight in human wars?
10: There's an interdependency among all beings, all universes. A war here may trigger a skirmish in another dimension. The destruction of a planet outside your universe can trigger genocide here. Everything's connected. Often, angels fight side by side with humans, but your metaphysical blindness prevents you from seeing. This time, however... Uh, Harry, are you listening?
5: Yes. Blind metaphysics. Got it.
10: Were you thinking about what I look like under my robes? Again?
5: No. Well, a little. I mean, you know, it's been eight years since...
10: I know, my champion. You've been forgiven and absolved for what you were forced to do. Harry, the gift I bestowed you has ensured you a long life. No one expects you to be a priest.
5: You do see the irony of an angel saying that, right?
10: More so because we never asked them to be celibate either. Harry, it's admirable that you still honor your wife. It's romantic that you still love her eight years later. I am not asking you to forget her. But it is not necessary for you to die with Maddie. Moving on, living your life, that honors her and you. Humans were not meant to be alone.
5: I don't think I can talk to a woman unless she is in some life-threatening situation, preferably surrounded by vampires or werewolves. Or both.
10: You do fine talking to me.
5: Yeah, but you're an angel. Perfection. Wait, you mean you and I are a possibility?
10: (laughs) You flatter me, Harry, and that feeds my pride. Which is truly the root of evil.
5: Did you just call me evil? Devilish, perhaps.
10: <laughs> I came for two reasons. The first, the one you seek, is in a town called Nightfalls. If you hurry, you may be able to catch him by first light.
5: I pushed the grimoire away and stood. I was looking for the Eastern European vampire who had killed my brother and turned my wife. For eight years, I had followed leads and Gabriella's sightings of him. I thought I had him here in New York City a couple of years ago, but it was just a colony of his followers. I sent them all to the eternal rest in a bloody soup of vampire giblets. It was the first time I met the lieutenant in Dexter. Dexter knew something was different about that case right away. Since then, he's become my science guy on several cases. Catching Veil at first light would mean putting an end to my albatross and possibly, finally, reaching salvation. What's the other thing?
10: The beings you seek are part of your society. Watch the humans. Many are in alliance with them. If you open your eyes, you will discover much. What the hell does that mean?
5: Ah, great. Just pop in, leave some cryptic message, and leave. That's not very helpful. I packed a small piece of luggage. I'd huff it over to Penn Station, catch the midnight train to Night Falls, kill Vale, and be back here in a day. While I was packing, I noticed my headache was gone.
6: I locked the door to Ernie's apartment behind me. Larry thought he was so smart. I had a feeling my editor would try to give this story to one of the men. That's why I left half the notes here. I'll have a great story, and I would solve Ernie's disappearance. I bet the Times will publish it. Who needs this stupid inquirer anyway? Three burly Joes were milling about the stoop of Ernest's apartment. The biggest blocked the path on the stairs. After my editor's attitude this afternoon, I was not in the mood for any more bombastic rooster behavior. I brushed by them, catching the finest stench of fish. Ew! Rude and unclean. What a prize. When I was about ten feet away, I looked back. He was still staring. His eyes were huge and misshapen, like deformed golf balls. I mustered up my best New York City stink-eye face and scowled back at him. Let him know he couldn't molest me with his eyes. Other men have cowered and crawled from this particular visage of yours truly, but not this Joe. He just kept on staring with those two eyes that didn't track quite right. I felt a chill and turned away, just in time to avoid walking into a man wearing a raincoat and carrying a small piece of luggage. Excuse me! The man barely acknowledged bumping into me. Sheesh, what is with men these days? I turned back to look at the men on the stoop, and they were gone. (sighs) Silly girl. I'd gotten myself all worked up over nothing. I turned the corner and stepped past an alley between an adult bookstore and a bar. I looked over my shoulder and ran into the man from the steps.
3: Where are you going, sister?
6: You startled me. Excuse me, you're in my way. Hey! Get your hands off of me!
3: Relax, puppy. We just want to have a chat with you.
6: I brought my knee up hard between his legs. Instead of hitting the family honor, it felt like I was kneeing a sponge. He just smiled at me.
3: Feel better? (laughs) No!
6: Stop! I'll scream! My shoe came off as three other men grabbed me and dragged me backwards into the alley. I tried to scream, but the one who spoke clamped his hand over my nose and mouth.
3: I want you to listen very carefully, Yeda. I am going to take my hand away from your mouth. If you scream or say anything louder than a whisper, the police will find parts of your body in the dumpster and parts of it in the East River. Do you understand?
6: Good. I fought to get my breath. The big Bruno had me in a grip tighter than a new pair of shoes. There was a foul taste in my mouth from his hand, like rotten oysters and dirt. If there were such things as trolls, this guy would be their mayor.
3: It is terrible to have all this oxygen around and not be able to get any of it in your lungs. A few more seconds and you would have been flopping around like the fish out of the water. Now, tell me, little girl, what did Ernest Ray tell you about us?
6: I looked up at the goon. Up close, his eyes weren't only misshapen, they were devoid of any normal pigment. Black irises surrounded by red rings bore into me. I had a burning sensation in my stomach that this guy and his henchmen weren't from around here, and I didn't just mean Midtown. All I wanted to do was get out of this alley alive and go home to Pretty Boy Kitty. Then he had to go and mention Ernie. You know Ernie?
2: (laughs) Oh,
3: yes, Miss Harlow. Perhaps not as soon as I should have, but I knew him well enough that he mentioned a friend. He didn't say how delicious she looked. Tell me... What were you doing in his apartment just now?
6: I don't think that's any of your business, pal. OW! I never saw his hand coming. Next thing I knew, I was on my knees, my head whipped hard to the right. A Bruno on either side of me snatched my arms and jerked me to my feet.
3: What you think, Miss Harlow, is not what I asked. What I asked was, What were you doing at Ernest's apartment?
6: Hitting a woman? Hard to believe a fella like you isn't wearing a ring. You're a real man, huh?
3: No, I am not. And it only gets worse from here. My associate and I are on a deadline. Perhaps a different type of persuasion.
6: I watched his hand turn into a stinger. He brandished it in front of me like a knife.
3: I am going to give you a very low dose of our venom. It will make you more agreeable.
6: Please, don't do this! He smiled at me, and then lunged forward. Ah! I doubled over, dropping my purse, its contents falling on the ground.
3: Oh, it will sting a
6: little. I felt something cold entering my stomach. It was as if he had injected me with crushed ice. (coughs) God... What is that?
3: A very special cocktail. It makes you more susceptible to suggestion and is a potent truth serum. Interesting. You know, you could have saved yourself much pain, Yeda, if you had just given me these papers. Has anyone else seen them? You must... Answer me!
6: I... don't... think... so. These were Ernie's... private... files.
3: Excellent. Afanasi, we shall make the test on time. What about dieda? You three meet us at the railway after you've eaten.
6: Eaten? Eaten what? Please don't hurt me!
4: Though it will only hurt for a moment, don't scream.
6: The Bruno lumbered towards me, his partner slightly behind him, a third guy keeping watch. The first guy leaned into me, his hat moved as if there was some small vermin under it. The pungent smell of dead fish brought tears to my eyes. I thought I would vomit. Suddenly, someone grabbed the one on lookout and smashed his head into the wall. The second guy was turning when something flashed out of the darkness. And his head rolled to my feet. I tried to scream, but I couldn't. Something inside wouldn't let me.
5: Who are you? I am death. Unless you can give me a compelling reason not to kill you. Hello, miss. Harry Strange here.
6: I didn't know who this Harry Strange was. It would be a lie if I didn't say I felt a little tingle when I thought I might get out of this alive... It didn't hurt that my hero was six-foot-two of gray-eyed, square-jawed man-hunk.
4: How about this, Yeda?
6: The one Harry had smashed into the wall was back!
4: <clears throat>
6: and angry! He grabbed my hero and threw him across the alley!
4: Don't move, Miss Yeda. I'll be right back.
6: Harry drew his gun, but the mug who kept calling me Yeda kicked it out of his hand. Harry's gun slid across the alley and stopped at my feet. I tried to pick it up, but I couldn't move. Whatever Dmitri injected me with was compelling me to obey every order.
4: The smart thing to
5: do would have been to keep walking. Never been accused of being smart. Are you okay, Toots?
6: Harry looked at me. Even though two Brunos were roughing him up, he asked if I was okay. I was flattered. Harry took another (coughs) solid hit to the head (coughs) his hat fell off. The other mug kicked it away.
5: Damn it! That was my favorite hat. Don't worry, in a second you won't have a head to put it on. No, friend, I don't think so.
6: Harry punched one of the guys in the head.
5: You're going to have to do better than that
4: pink...
6: Harry grabbed the guy by his ears and pulled his face down while bringing his knee into the Bruno's face.
3: Enough!
6: Both mugs stepped away from Harry. There was a sudden, overwhelming scent of fish. Both men began to change. Harry took a step back. Their heads grew long and tentacles sprouted from their chins.
5: Have you ever seen anything like this?
6: I tried to shake my head. Never.
5: No. Me neither. Kind of screwy, huh?
6: Harry threw a punch into the squid's head. His fist was absorbed into its skin. Harry stepped back. Multiple tentacles danced like Medusa's hair at the bottom of their faces. I kept trying to move, but I couldn't. Tentacles grabbed Harry's arms. The other squid man held his hands up, and they changed into stingers. The tentacle guy pushed Harry against the dumpster.
5: That looks like it's going to be painful. You have no
4: idea.
6: How oh, many It burns! The squid man's tentacles slashed across Harry's face, leaving a gash from Harry's ear to the corner of his mouth.
4: (laughs) Oh, that's just a sample. Your brain will implode
5: from agony before I am through. That sounds horrible. Good thing Yago is here.
6: Harry nodded in the direction of the alley behind the squid men. They both turned as I did. No one was there.
4: Your friend Yago is too late to
5: save you. Hmm, I don't think so.
6: Harry pulled a dagger from his raincoat's pocket and slashed across the tentacles holding him. No! Harry was moving almost too fast to follow. He slashed upwards, cutting the throat of the stinger squid. Greenish yellow liquid flowed from the squid man's throat. His remaining tentacles were trying to stop the bleeding. Harry pushed him backwards. The other squid man was moving away, waving the stumps of his tentacles in the air.
4: No,
5: yada! Get away from me.
6: Harry grabbed him by the lapels of his jacket.
5: Listen, Squid Boy, you've got about 30 seconds to start answering my questions. Who are- It's too late, Pinky.
4: The advent is near. He is waking. She will birth him into this world.
5: You're soon to leave this world if you don't give me some answers. What is that? It has begun. My god. Name yourself demon, nor your eternal death begins now. Demons. You humans
4: are so primitive. You base your superstitions on realities and beings your minds cannot fathom. I am not one of your fairy tales. My race was ancient while your kind was still flopping
5: around in the ooze. And yet I'm the guy with a dagger at your throat.
6: While Harry was talking, one of the squid's legs turned into a lance-like tentacle. It was flying towards the back of Harry's head. Harry, look out!
5: Son of a no! bitch!
6: The squid stabbed himself in the chest. He exploded in a foul-smelling gumbo of fish parts.
5: Well, that was nasty. Are you okay? Uh-huh. Good. I'm Harry. Y-
6: y- yes I know. You told me.
5: And you are? Tell me your name, honey.
6: Poppy Harlow.
5: Right. Well, Poppy Harlow, it sounds like they're playing my song. You have a nice night.
6: He started to walk out of the alley towards the sirens. I watched him, unable to will myself to move. I was still under the influence of the drug. How long would this take to wear off? Would I ever be able to move again? How would I explain this when the police found me? What if some bums came by? What if... Excuse me? Yes?
5: My gun? Ah, there it is. Are you just gonna lie there? You should probably get up.
6: Suddenly, my legs moved. I stood.
5: See, that wasn't so hard. Now I've really got to go- you don't look so good. Are you okay? I'm fine. Your face is still bleeding. It'll heal. I'm good like that.
6: What are those things?
5: Dunno. Giant cephalopods? They smelled worse than rotting fish and decaying roadkill. I've been at homicide scenes that smelled better than those guys. It was like baloney that's been sitting in the sun for a few days. Sort of like the toilets at the drunk tank.
6: Yes! I was there, I know, it was a horrible smell.
5: Look, Poppy, go home. Get some rest. I'll check on you tomorrow. I've really got to get to this... screaming siren thing.
6: The reporter and me fought to stay with Harry, follow him to the scene of the crime, but the poison compelled me to obey him. My feet started walking, Good lord, how long would this compulsion to obey last?
5: On second thought, maybe it'd be safer if you stayed with me. Come on.
6: We saw a crowd of people running from Penn Station in our direction. Every so often, we'd see a pencil-point ray of green light and then hear an explosion. A green, narrow beam flashed out and hit a police car, which burst into a twisted mass of metal and fire. Even though we were almost half a block away and it was the middle of December, I was sweating from the heat of the squad car. Harry and I continued to run towards the source of the... Death ray. Shouldn't we be running the opposite way?
5: What, and miss all the fun? Come on, we need to see what's causing this.
6: Harry and I ducked behind the burnout husk of a yellow cab. The entrance to Penn Station, its massive stone eagles perched high atop ledges, resting on pillars of marble, was just ahead of us. Standing under the outermost pillars were the sources of the chaos and the panic, but that couldn't be right. I rubbed my eyes, The squid poison must be affecting my vision, because I thought I saw...
5: Santa Claus. There are two mechanical Santa Clauses shooting death rays in New York City.
6: It wasn't a hallucination. Green beams of light were shooting from the bells the mechanical Santas were holding.
5: I have a friend who isn't going to believe this.
6: I'm seeing it and I don't believe it. What are we going to do?
5: Well, obviously we need to disable the Santas.
6: What's your plan?
5: I don't know. What's your plan?
6: Why would I have a plan? I thought you would have one.
5: Why would you think that?
6: You seem like the kind of guy who would be ready for something like this.
5: For murderous mechanical Santa Clauses? Really? Look over there. Maybe they have a plan.
6: On top of the building, across from Penn Station, were several police officers brandishing rifles. One of the Santas exploded in a torrent of gears and fire. The other fired at the officers, collapsing the top part of the building. A cloud of concrete, bricks, and rebar rose from the ground. A chunk of building about the size of a cow crashed onto the street, its fragments bouncing everywhere. One piece flew forward, tearing the head from the remaining Santa.
5: Well, problem solved. Do you want me to get you home?
6: As wonderful as my hero seemed, I didn't know if the venom was still affecting me. No, I'm fine.
5: Okay, go home, get some rest. Tomorrow will be a normal day, I promise.
6: My legs started to move before I could say goodbye.
2: Strange? Strange? I should have known I'd see you here. Lieutenant Swift! I was just out for a stroll. Stroll my ass. We need to talk.
6: I was in the office of Nikola Tesla, mad genius scientist. Well, I didn't really know if he was mad, but he was a genius. I hadn't bothered to call. The personal approach always seemed to work better. Except this time. Excuse me. Excuse me? Do you work here, or are you just testing the typewriter? Shh! Instead of pointing that finger at me, you should try using it on the keys. Perhaps you'll finish before
11: Christmas. Stupid pagan holiday.
6: I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Listen, sister. I'm from the New York Inquirer. That's the third largest newspaper in the city. I'm here to do a story about your boss. I just need to set up a time to meet with him. Can you see what he has available? Do you speak English?
11: You are starting to annoy me. Go sit while I finish this report.
6: It took all my will not to obey her sit command. If I could focus my mind on something else, I could resist the command. I tried nursery rhymes, but they didn't work as well as songs. O star of wonder, star of night, star of royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Ah, much better. The urge to obey her was gone. Her desk blotter was neat, nary a pen out of place. Someone had drawn multiple circles around different days near the end of the month. There was a coffee cup, a couple of ugly earrings, and a stack of accounting notebooks. The rest of the office was innocuous. A row of file cabinets were in the corner next to a bulletin board with newspaper clippings of articles about Tesla. Wow, he was quite dashing in his earlier days. Here was a picture of Tesla sitting in front of what looked like a giant speaker coil. According to the caption, it was the coil of his high-frequency transformer. There was a copy of a Time magazine cover from 1931 that showed his picture in three-quarter profile and had the caption, All the world's his powerhouse. There were articles about Tesla from all over the world, and a couple from the New York Times. Well, hello. Here's one from the New York Times, 1934. Tesla at 78 bears new death beam. Death
11: beam, huh? What is it you want?
6: Um, a meeting. I want to... Can I keep this article?
11: No, you cannot. Nikola does not do interviews. Sorry.
6: But he does. He did one for Time
11: magazine. True. He's also done them for the New York Times, and the London Times, and the Wall Street Journal. Tell me, Missy, do you know why he would grant them interviews but not you? Because their titles all have something to do with time? Hmm. That's almost clever. I am sure you're quite a hit with the fraternity brothers everywhere. He interviews with them because they are number one in their field, not number three. Why don't you let your boss decide that, miss? Doctor. Excuse me? I am a doctor, not a miss. Now, give me that newspaper clipping and be on your way.
6: I started to turn. The desire to obey wasn't as strong, but it was still there. Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star of royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Your boss isn't going to like this, Dr. Cross.
11: I am not Cross. She is at lunch, meeting people like always. I am Dr. Natalia Dalkash from University of Moscow. I am Nicholas, lab assistant, not some sorority secretary giggling her way through investors' meetings. But don't worry, Missy. I'll put in a good word for you. Really? Give me the article, please. I am sure you can find it in the... What's the name of that place you newspaper people store things? The morgue? Yes, that's it. The morgue, sweetie. That's probably the best place for you to start.
9: The entire attack took less than five minutes. So far, we've been unable to recover the other Santa. This is the Santa who, um, lost his head. We can see that, Dexter. Move on with this.
5: We were in the labs of the New York City Bureau of Scientific Investigation. My trip to Night Falls was on a temporary hold until the case of the murderous mechanical Santa and the cephalopods was resolved. The common piece to both events was John Clyde. The more I thought about it, the more I was sure I had seen the Ceph who killed himself at J. Clyde Enterprises while I was on the tour. If I could put this together, I'd know what happened to Ernest Ray and Danny D'Angelo. I was also trying to square Poppy Harlow into the story. You don't get hunted down by Brunos like that unless you already have a relationship with them. I shudder to think what would have happened to Poppy if I hadn't been on my way to the station that night. Hmm, I wonder if that was why Gabriella sent me. Strange! I ask you a question. I was on my way to see a sick friend in Jersey. How many times do I have to tell you? How does he do that, Dexter? He's good. What happened to the broad you were with? There wasn't a woman with me. I thought you called me in because you wanted my assistance, not to interrogate me.
2: I didn't call you, Dexter did.
5: I'm glad one of you appreciates my genius. Please, Dexter, do continue.
9: Thank you. This is the disassembled Santa. He's mostly just gears and pulleys, nothing out of the ordinary. Do we know who the manufacturer is? Inside the housing of this glove is the stamp and the serial number. Catch, Harry! Hmm... J. Clyde Enterprises,
5: White Plains, New York. Part number 241240. Whoa. Is this how many
9: of these things are out there? That's a part number, not a serial number. See the glove there? Basically rivet and bolt fasteners, right? Sure. Look at this hand, the one with the bell, and presumably the DEB beam. DEB? The D-E-B. Directed energy beam? It is created by a super high frequency beam of electrons. <sighs> Basically, you have a vacuum and pull energy particles out of it. Then, using alternating current, you switch the polarity of the electrons from positive to negative. Then you Is ex- any of this going to help us solve the case? Possibly. I mean, how many people do you know who can generate something like that?
5: Other than you, Dex? No one.
9: <laughs> well, I understand the theory. The odds of me successfully building one are tiny, infinitesimal. There are probably only a handful of men in the world who could design and develop this. Einstein certainly could have. Rodolf Landenberg? Quentin Chase, Tesla... You were going to show us something on the hand holding the bell. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry, this is just very interesting. Interesting? Well, sir, if my assumptions are correct, this may be alien in nature. Look at the fasteners. I've never seen anything like this. Alien? Like little
2: Martian monsters? Have you been sniffing formaldehyde?
5: Easy, Lieutenant. You're gonna blow a blood vessel or
9: something. Dex said it may be alien. Can you open those fasteners? Well, at first I couldn't. We tried all the regular tools. Then I moved on to torches and cutting welders and...
5: You have been a busy mad scientist, haven't you?
9: (laughs) Well, I guess so. When tools and fire didn't work, I decided to try sound.
5: You got the Lieutenant to yell it open. Very funny, Strange.
9: Yes. No. Sound is all around you. It's an actual physical presence. Even though we don't generally think of it as having mass, but the vibrations of sound act on the air molecules. And with the proper angle of incidence and high enough intensity, the precise sound wave acting on the resonance of the target can crack open almost anything. So using that logic, I built this, and I was able to open the bell hand without damaging anything on the inside.
5: Dex, turned the bell over.
9: Look closely. What do you see?
5: I see some gears, some wires, a little wafer thing with a green light floating above it.
9: What the hell is that? I I wish I knew. It's beautiful though, isn't it? I'd venture to say it's something most people on this planet have never seen. Again with the aliens? It's probably something Nazis developed. If it is, we'd best all start learning German. (laughs) This is beyond the limits of anything published in peer-reviewed literature.
5: I doubted it was German. On closer examination, the green light was bobbing slowly about a quarter inch above the brown-gray wafer. I started to poke it with my finger.
9: That's not a good idea, Harry. I don't know if that is actually a light or some type of organic material. You mean to tell me that light may be alive? Technically, I said we don't know. These gloves I'm wearing are made to withstand heat in excess of 400 degrees, 40,000 volts of electricity, and most dog bites. They will, however, make fine motor control difficult.
5: The lieutenant and I stood on either side of Santa's arm while Dexter's gloved hands bumbled towards the wafer.
9: Have to be careful. Just because it looks like a tiny beam of light doesn't mean that it...
0: Oh, it's burning!
2: Oh, God, it's burning! Dexter! Oh, stop running around! Let's look at it!
5: The green light flowed like molasses around Dexter's hand. For a moment, the outline of his gloved fingers were visible. Then they started to bend until they curved backward against his hand. The green fluid continued to move towards his wrist.
0: Make it stop! I can't feel my fingers! Stop! Oh.
5: I looked around the room.
2: Strange, look!
5: The glove fell off! What the hell is that? His fingers are just stubs. The green stuff is acting like some type of acid. We need to stop its progress. Uh, I, I'm open to suggestions, Strange. I have an idea. Lieutenant, hold him down. Do not let any of that green goop get on you. You can't be serious! Give me your belt, Lieutenant. Dex, buddy, this is an extreme solution. Your choice. I don't
9: choice. care. I can feel it singing into my skin. You have to the stop it, The green goo is at the base
5: of his forearm. I don't want to end up the like the The fetid stench of rotting no, flesh. the room. Okay, buddy. No. Bite down on this. Ah, well, I hope fingers. you know what you're doing, Strange. Just be ready to tie a tourniquet above his elbow when I finish.
0: <laughs>
5: now! Tie
2: it off! I want his arm back for evidence.
5: Yeah? What are you going to use to bag it in? Look at the floor. What, in blazes? It's starting to eat through the concrete. Doesn't look like there's going to be much arm left anyway.
2: It looks like what happened to D'Angelo.
5: It's Dimitri. There were a
3: few setbacks, but overall, I'd say the test went well.
12: You idiots. That was your idea of a test? You put the entire city on notice. A test is supposed to be something small and subtle. Unnoticed except for those looking for it. You may as well have put billboards on Times Square.
3: Fear is a useful tool.
12: It is. When we are ready to show ourselves these humans will cower and crawl. But we want surprise to be on our side. And I cannot do that if you're going to expose us all over New York City. Stealth is our plan of attack now. As I understand it, the police have one of your devices. If they open it...
3: If they open it, they will wish themselves dead. Our technology is beyond anything they have seen. As are our traps. I thought you had the police on our payroll.
12: Not all of them. Idiot. Your job is to do, not think. Your arrogance will be your downfall, which is precisely why I was chosen as the Seneschal, and you as my steward.
3: Yes, Seneschal.
12: Is your arrogance the same reason the reporter's girlfriend is still alive?
3: Uh, I gave orders to three of my best men to dispatch of her the night of the test.
12: Do you suppose she killed them? One little girl against three of your best men.
3: That's impossible. She was alone in the alley with them when I
12: left. She was in my office not two hours ago. Maybe you should check on your best men. Please tell me you were at least able to recover the reporter's papers.
3: Yes. I took them from her myself. I'll send them over by courier this afternoon.
12: Did you read them?
3: The company is mentioned.
12: Listen carefully and don't gum this up. Keep the shipments moving as planned. They should all be in place this weekend. Put someone on the girl, but do not approach her. Your idiot men already exposed themselves. I want to know how she got out of that alley, who she talks to, and where she goes. The advent is approaching, and I will not have you and your lackeys ruin the return of the Elder.
3: Hello? Hello! The humans will cower, as will you, Seneschal. All of you will be food for the Elder when he arrives.
5: Later that night, I was in a hidden room in the back of my office and surrounded by my books that were written as recently as 50 years ago and as old as several thousand years. These weren't books you'd find at your local library. These texts were collected over centuries by guys like me. Men, and a few women, who were involved with the day-to-day battle against the unnatural order. These were the real deal. I acquired a few of these myself at the risk of great physical harm. Almost lost some entrails. Still have the scar. Probably always will, despite my angelic healing gifts. With the amount of knowledge I had at my fingertips, I may as well have been staring at a blank newspaper. There wasn't anything describing what happened to Dexter and only a brief entry on what those squids in the alley might be. And that was a babbling diatribe of paranoia and xenophobia. What the hell was that? The sound came from my front office. It was a little late for a client visit. I slid the wall over. Anyone on the other side would have seen a panel behind my desk opening. Odds are, however, if someone had made it into my office, my desk was the prize they were seeking and their back would be to me. She was bent over, struggling with a drawer. She was a short girl, wearing heels, overcoat, and a hat. Curly brown locks fell to about her shoulders. She tried another drawer. You need to slap the side of the desk to loosen that one.
6: (laughs) Don't come near me!
5: She spun around, a pair of scissors in her hand. I mean it! Gun beats scissors, toots. Drop 'em. Hey, wait a second. You're the girl from the alley. You do recall that I saved you, right?
6: What were you doing in Ernest's apartment?
5: Ernest? The reporter? You're the bird from the picture. Nice gams.
6: And you were the thug hiding under the bed. Try to use a little less pomade next time.
5: I holstered my gun. Poppy Harlow, please sit. Drink.
6: Sure. Bourbon.
5: Well, bourbon it is.
6: So, secret room? Nice. What's in there?
5: It's a secret. What'd you take from Ernest's apartment that night? Here's your drink.
6: Thanks. Why would I tell you?
5: I did save you and all.
6: How many times are you going to play that card? I've been thinking about that night. Funny how you just happened to show up at that part of town at that very minute. Almost like you were supposed to be there. Very curious.
5: Maybe it was divine intervention.
6: Yeah, that's one theory. Maybe you're working with those goons in the alley. Maybe this is all a plot to find out what Ernest had in his apartment.
5: As I remember this story, I killed three of them. Well, technically two. The other one killed himself with a flipper or tentacle or something. Anyway, killing my own mugs to find out what you know? Not very cost effective. Who would join a gang like that?
6: I don't think you're the brains. The guy you let leave was the thinker.
5: The guy I let leave? Did this guy have a name?
6: Right. Like you don't know.
5: Let me work this out for you. You probably worked for a rival newspaper of Ernest's. Not the Times. Probably the third or fourth largest. Ernie had an unrequited crush on you. Oh sure, you were fine with him being your pal. But he wanted more. You didn't want to break his heart, so you strung him along. Made him your best buddy. Probably took him shopping. You saw yourself as his big sister. When he went missing, your nurturing gears kicked in. We're both on the same mission here. I was hired by the now-dead editor of the Chronicle's son.
6: Danny is dead? You're lying. That would be all over the news. The police
5: have asked the papers to sit on the story for a few days. Stay with me on this. Danny D'Angelo is dead. Ernest is most likely dead, and then someone comes after you. You came here because you thought I would have something that would lead you to the killers. Am I right?
6: You don't know that Ernest is dead.
5: It's better than even odds. You're still on the list. You said the guy who left was the thinker. Why did he leave?
6: He took my purse.
5: Why would he do that?
6: Because I had some papers from Ernest's apartment. I guess they had what he wanted.
5: Which was?
6: The name of the major investors in J. Clyde Enterprises.
5: It keeps coming back to Clyde, doesn't it?
6: Those things killed Ernest, didn't they? He really is dead.
5: Poppy dropped my scissors on the desk and sat hard on the couch. She slammed the drink and waved the glass in front of me. Want to shoot for the hat trick?
6: No, I'm good.
5: Those sephs are probably still after you. Stay here tonight. I can protect you.
6: I don't think that's very appropriate, Mr. Strange.
5: Neither is getting speared by a giant squid monster. But it's your choice.
6: I get the bed. You get the couch.
5: Fine. A couple of things you have to know. When I do remember to lock the front entrance, this place becomes a fortress. There are protection spells and devices everywhere. Nothing can get in. Excuse me. This is Harry? Yes? Okay. Really? Son of a... Okay, I'll be right there. I gotta go. My friend in the hospital just woke up and needs to see me.
6: I'm not staying here alone.
5: That's your choice. You're still safer here than anywhere else. You ever swing a sword before?
6: Excuse me? A sword. No.
5: It's easier than tying a shoe. Just aim for the neck and swing like the babe.
6: Who's the babe?
5: Babe Ruth. You didn't know that?
6: I wasn't sure. I write for society news, not sports.
5: This is the sword of diamonds. It will adjust to your weight. Here, take it.
6: It changed size.
5: i'll tell you later now when you swing this
6: are those real diamonds in the hilt
5: yes try to pay attention okay you should be secure if anyone tries to break in here if on the unlikely chance they get in just swing the sword at their neck it will adjust in weight and size to your swing and put all of your power here in the sweet spot you should be able to fell a tree with this okay
6: are you some type of alien from outer space
5: that's an interesting question and when i get back i want to talk about it But first, I need to get to Isolation Hospital to see my friend. Do not leave.
6: Swinging this is like the cat's meow! Well, what do we have here? The good Mr. Strange seems to have left the door to his secret room open. Well, I'm sure he won't mind if I take a peek.
5: On its best of days, Isolation Hospital rose out of the ground like some gothic mansion in a dime store thriller. On nights like this, you could feel the desolation and desperation of its charges, both past and present. For many of its patients, Isolation Hospital was the end of the line. The terminus of a miserable existence, pocket marked with tuberculosis, polio, and any other number of communicable diseases that modern medicine was unable to defeat. This is where they put Dexter. What did the doctors say about your arm?
9: Doctors. (laughs) They know less than I do about this. I don't know that much.
5: Does it still hurt?
9: Like I dipped my arm and lie. I owe you one, Harry. You did a good thing. Amputating my forearm. Though my boxing career is over.
5: <laughs> really wasn't much of a career, was it, Glassjaw?
9: <laughs> no, not really. My mother told me to build my brain, not my body. Glad I listened to her. It was a good run.
5: What do you mean, was? you got a lot of life left in you.
9: Afraid not, buddy. You slowed it down, but you couldn't stop it. The docs here are just trying to keep me comfortable. What are you talking about? You removed most of the parasites when you amputated my forearm, and that's why I'm still here. But I think these things act like a drop of blood on a white shirt. You can never get the stain out completely. You did your best and acted quickly. This isn't your fault.
5: Swollen veins ran from the stub of Dexter's forearm through his bicep. One less swollen line headed up toward his neck, the other one down to his heart. There must be something.
9: I doubt it, especially in light of what I didn't have time to tell you earlier. I ran part of the stinger we found at D'Angelo's house. Most of it was organic material. Curious, but identifiable organics. Chitin, glucose, melanin, mucus.
5: Right, organic. Got it. You said mostly organic. What about the rest? I
9: haven't any idea. Nothing from Earth.
5: You mean like something unnatural?
9: I mean something like alien from another planet.
5: Is this the morphine talking?
9: (laughs) Since I met you, I've seen things that trip the mind. But this goes beyond even your unnaturals. This is some alien thing. The results indicated that the stinger is distantly related to... Squids? Yes, exactly. How did you know?
5: Because I killed three of them the other night. Three of them? Well, technically two. One killed himself, but he was aiming for me.
9: Harry, you have to get me out of here. We have to prepare. We have to warn people. Warn them about what? It's an invasion. Don't you see? The sinus, the things you killed.
12: Excuse me. Visiting hours ended 30 minutes ago.
5: A shadow fell across Dexter's face. I spun, my hand reaching for my gun. Standing behind us, one hand flat on her hip, the other in a fist at her side, was a short and shapely nurse. Most of her face was covered with a mask, but her eyes were big, black as pitch. And angry. I'm sorry, nurse. I'm here on police business.
12: Show me your badge.
5: Well, I'm not exactly a police officer. You're an
12: arrogant rule-breaker. And rule-breakers are troublemakers. And I don't allow troublemakers in my hospital. You need to leave and let Mr. Tyler rest in peace. Why are you still standing there?
5: Okay, nurse. Dex, I'll be back tomorrow. We'll finish our discussion. Nurse Crankypants watched as I walked away, turning her body as I passed. She had done a complete 180 by the time I reached the door. I stepped out in the hallway and looked back. She had drawn the curtain around Dexter's bed and was hovering over him, one finger extended. She looked like she was giving him a stern talking to. Poor Dex. Lost his arm, may have an alien parasite, and has a mean nurse. At least she was well-curved. The only thing that tied all of this together was the mechanical Santa. That meant a ride to the offices of J. Clyde Enterprises. Imagine my surprise. The only things left in his warehouse were a couple of file cabinets and waste paper cans. And a watchman who looked as if he may have been old when the railroads were being built.
6: I think it's the next left.
5: It was safer to keep Poppy with me than leave her in my office. Plus, she had a big old lead sled Chevy, perfect for the snow-covered roads. The watchman said he hadn't seen Clyde since the night of the Penn Station attack.
6: There it is!
5: Are you sure? How do you know?
6: He held a shindig out here a couple of months back. It's where Ernie and I first met Mr. Clyde. It was an investor's pitch party. There were several wealthy attendees.
5: Did you talk to any of them?
6: Small talk. Nothing about alien invasion.
5: Don't be such a cynic. What would you say you saw that night in the alley?
6: Maybe it was some kind of mass hallucination.
5: Sure, that's what it was. It was all in your head. Uh oh.
6: This is very bad.
5: Think we can back out before they see us?
6: If you back out now... No wait. One of the officers saw us.
5: Oh hell, that's Lieutenant Swift.
6: Jones! Turn it off and get out! What are you going to do?
5: Ever been in a police shootout? No! Me neither. Want to try?
6: I'm starting to doubt your ability to protect me. I
2: will shoot you, Strange, and I'd be fully
5: justified if I did. The lieutenant led Poppy and me into the foyer of Clyde's house. He had a lot of questions, none of which made sense.
2: Strange, you may not believe this, but I'm looking out for you and Miss Harlow. This thing is bigger than the New York City Police Department.
5: You're going to have to throw me a bone here. I don't know what you're talking about.
2: Why are you here? And I expect the truth this time.
5: I'm working a case, Swift.
2: Is that how you want to play this? Where were you about 3.30 this morning?
5: In my office, asleep.
2: Any witnesses?
5: I looked at Poppy. She was looking down. Just the beautiful blonde in my dreams. Why? Where do you think I was?
2: Come with me. No, not you, Miss Harlow. Just him.
5: I followed the lieutenant into the living room. Two officers were securing the area. In the normal course of things, Dex would be in here collecting evidence. Of course, there was nothing normal about this case. In the center of the room, a very expensive chair lay on its side. Hanging, literally, a couple of feet above the chair was John Clyde. His face was pale and not at all peaceful. Clyde's tongue was swollen like a blood-engorged slug. The purplish color of Clyde's hands told me he'd been like that for several hours. Got anything to say? That's an ugly watch he's wearing. Seriously, Clyde was my only link in these cases. Now he's dead, his last moments spent flopping around on a noose like some spastic piñata. I have less than nothing now.
2: Your compassion is noteworthy.
5: It's not as if I liked the guy. Personally, I thought he was a weasel.
2: So you would classify your relationship as adversarial?
5: Are you trying to say something, Lieutenant?
2: Well, as you said, Mr. Clyde was a weasel, and you didn't like him.
5: Right. But it's a long ride from calling a guy a weasel to hoisting him up over the rafters and watching him dance his last Charleston.
2: Not as long as you think. When was the last time you saw him alive?
5: A couple of days ago. Why? Did you
2: threaten him in any way?
5: No. Well, not directly. Come on, Swift. You know me.
2: I do, Strange. Take a look at this note. Tell me what you would think if you were me.
1: Excuse me, sir. There's a radio dispatch for you at the squad car. It's the chief.
2: That's just a bee's knees. He probably wants to know more about the security at the society party next week. Did you tell him I was at a crime scene?
1: Yes, sir.
5: Crime scene? Well, maybe that deer's head over the fireplace could make a case for homicide. But Clyde is a suicide.
2: Is that your official opinion, Strange? Strange? Just read the note. Let's go, officer.
6: Harry, what's going on? Oh, my. Is that the suicide note?
5: It's definitely a note.
6: What's it say?
5: Here, you read it. You tell me.
6: I don't understand it.
5: Oh, I understand it. I need to get out of here.
6: Running will make you look guilty.
5: And staying will lead to my arrest.
6: Harry, stop trying to unlock that window. They're coming back.
5: Almost. Got it.
6: Strange, what are you doing? Harry was trying to get some air into the room. All this gore is making me weak.
2: Miss Harlow, you should be in the other room.
5: Harry, where were
2: you last night?
5: I was at the hospital with Dex for a little while. Then I went back to my office.
2: I see. Officer, arrest him.
5: What?
6: No! I was with him all last night. He couldn't have done this.
5: (laughs) Bit of a chippy, aren't you? Hey, even for you, that's over the line.
6: How dare you! I hired Mr. Strange for protection, not for whatever tawdry thoughts are in your deviant little mind.
2: One question, Miss Harlow. Did you go with your hero to see Dexter in the
6: hospital? I. um.
5: No, she didn't. What difference does that make?
2: You're under arrest for the murder of Special Agent Dexter Tyler. I didn't kill anyone.
6: Take him away.
2: No! If he resists, use your club.
6: You can't do this! Harry isn't a murderer!
12: Didn't they feed you in there?
5: You ever tried the food at Riker's Island?
12: Sad to say I have missed out on that experience.
5: Don't be sad. Eating there is an experience.
12: Undoubtedly. Have you considered my offer, Mr. Strange?
5: Czar, I appreciate your generosity, believe me. I didn't want to spend any more time in Riker's rat-infested inferno than needed. But I'm already spread a little thin. I told you that when you posted my bail.
12: Yes, you did. You've been very upfront and honest with me. Admirable and rare qualities in a man.
5: Upfront and honest? Those are my middle names. Of all the private eyes in New York, why me? For that matter, why even bail me out? I'm a suspect in two murder cases.
12: My boss, Mr. Tesla, is going to be making a very important demonstration at the New Yorker Christmas Ball. Just 30 floors up from this cafeteria. We don't want anything to happen.
5: That doesn't really answer my question, does it, Miss Cross?
12: Mr. Strange, we've done our homework. We have the New York police in place for any... What is the word I want? Natural mischief? We want you for any unnatural guests.
5: What do you know about unnaturals? I thought you science types didn't believe in mysticism and magic.
12: (laughs) I am hardly a science type, but... Did you know that Adolf Hitler is searching the world for religious and supernatural artifacts? Or that Her Majesty's secret service, MI6, has warehouses filled with ancient Egyptian and Mesopotamian spiritual relics? Your own U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is working on a weapon that will literally bring down the fire of the gods on any target they desire. No, Mr. Strange. Science types understand that magic is all around us. And it is simply science we don't understand. I believe your brother said that in one of his papers?
5: I don't have a brother.
12: That's not completely accurate, is it? We know much about you, Mr. Chase.
5: How could you possibly? I haven't gone by that name in years. Azar's expression didn't change. Eyes as black as midnight studied me as intensely as I studied her. I couldn't place her accent, which added to her exotic look and presence. And what a look it was. She had lips like Jean Harlow and filled out her dress like Veronica Lake. Yet as pleasantly wrapped as she was, I didn't think there was a prize inside.
12: We also know about your wife. And how she died.
5: Whatever you think you know about Maddie.
12: I am not here to judge you, Mr. Strange. Or spoil your secret. I dare say... Your brother, Quinn, was one of Mr. Tesla's favorite pen pals.
5: What did Quinn and Tesla talk about?
12: Everything. I didn't understand much of it. I know your brother believed some of Nikola's inventions could bridge the gap between our world and other worlds. Maybe even open a portal to the so-called heaven and hell.
5: My brother suggested that? What did Tesla say?
12: Nikola believes we are just electronic waves moving through time and space. Eventually, we will just dissolve into the ether. He thought Quinn's ideas were interesting, but not worth pursuing.
5: What do you think about Quinn's ideas?
12: (laughs) You flatter me, Mr. Strange. I'm just the marketing and investor relations girl. I give little thought to metaphysics or afterlife. It's all I can do to get through this life.
5: Do you still have Quinn's letters?
12: I do. Join us, and you can see them.
11: Azard, here you are.
12: I've been looking for you. Natalia Delcash, please meet Harry Strange.
5: Pleased to meet you. You
11: were supposed to be back ten minutes ago. If you give me a time, I expect you to honor it.
12: Sorry, Natalia. I was interviewing Mr. Strange. He will be working a special security detail on Christmas
11: Eve. Special security? You don't look like much of a security man.
5: I've had a rough couple of days.
11: In my country... Security men look like men, not pretty boys. Thank you. What country would that be? Natalia is Russian. Duh. And I didn't mean that as a compliment. I think the word here isn't pretty boy. It's nancy boy. Natalia, please. Mr. Strange is here to help us. (laughs) Perhaps he can start by teaching you to be more punctual. I'm going to lunch. The office is empty.
5: She's a charmer.
12: It takes Natalia some time to warm up to people. She is brilliant. Almost a rival to Nicola.
5: She'd have to be with that attitude.
12: Do we have an agreement, Mr. Strange?
5: Two conditions. Name them. I was back in my secret library. Along with my normal selection of tomes, dusty pamphlets, and grimoires, I had checked out several books from the New York Public Library. These monstrosities had titles like Physics for the Common Man, The Electron Particle in Cosmology, The New Space Travel, Vibration Theory in Resonance, and Piercing the God Veil. I also had a box full of old popular science magazines. I needed to know if what Quinn had suggested was possible. Could we cut a portal from our world to another dimension? What would the ramifications of that be? Surely if I knew about it, other more dangerous beings also knew. Was this why Ernest Ray, Danny D'Angelo, and Dexter Tyler lost their lives? I finally got the scoop on Dexter. The parasite or poison or little green light from Santa may have eventually killed him, but the official cause of his death was asphyxia. Someone had held a pillow over his face and snuffed him out like a cheap candle. I had my suspicions, told Lieutenant Swift, but there wasn't a nurse working that night that matched the woman I saw. There wasn't any nurse on the ward matching that description. Ever. The lieutenant thought I was just trying to send him down a rabbit hole to take the pressure and suspicion off myself. You know, another thing that didn't make sense was Clyde killing himself. And why hanging? He had enough firepower in the cabin to hold off the Germans and Italians, Why slowly strangle at the end of a rope when one shot with the rifle would have been quicker and less painful? He wanted to suffer. But why? Unless someone else was in the room and made him do it. But there wasn't any sign of forced entry. There was noise in my outer office. I drew my gun. Someone was walking towards the door to my secret library. Whoever it was, they were quite bold. The panel slid open. My finger squeezed the trigger.
6: Don't shoot, it's me.
5: Damn it, Poppy. You know the whole point of having a secret room is that it's supposed to be secret. You can't just barge in and not expect to be looking down the barrel of a gun.
6: Maybe you need to take a shot of bourbon. Relax a little. Here, look. I bought you a gift. Why? Which one? The bourbon because you are too tense. The gift because I called Miss Cross and now have an exclusive interview with New York's very own recluse scientist tomorrow afternoon. Thank you very much.
5: You're welcome. What's in the box?
6: A little something to remind you of the first night we met.
5: It was a paperweight that fit in the palm of my hand. Encased in the amber was a tiny blue squid-like carving with gold eyes. Depending on how I held it, the squid changed color and shape. It's a clever gift.
6: I thought you'd appreciate it, given your obsession with cephalopods.
5: Well, I did kill three of them.
6: Two, technically. The other one... Yeah,
5: I was there. But that's not what I'm talking about. Ah, oh, it's been right in front of me.
6: What has? Look at this. The Kefalopoda? An ancient unknown race, first recorded during the Hebrew period of slavery under Amos. The rabbi Le- Levi reported the Kephalopodus.
5: Look at that picture.
6: This looks like it might be related to those things, but yet it doesn't. This one has more... tentacles.
5: Yes, it does. How many tentacles do you remember?
6: Three, maybe four. Honestly, I'm not sure what I saw.
5: I counted five or six, and you saw it. Your mind may be blocking, or they may have released some type of gas to cause you to forget. Were you stung or scratched by them?
6: Well, before you got there, one of them stung me, I think. It's all kind of hazy. That was a couple of weeks ago. It was dark, and I was scared... I'm not sure what I saw.
5: I know what I saw, and I wasn't scared.
6: I think you were a little scared.
5: Most religions are based on the premise that a god created the earth. Each god created a race in their own image. Some people who study these legends believe the Hebrew god and the morning star waged battles against the six other kingdoms and banished them to different parts of the universe. Now according to this book, Kathanu is one of those elder gods, and the most vengeful. It's believed that just his proximity to humans can send them into a homicidal frenzy. If he's getting close to Earth, then it's possible his nearness is causing the war in Europe.
6: Do you have some moonshine back there for me? I mean, elder gods? War between the angels? I'm certain there's a blasphemy in there somewhere. And so close to Christmas. Shame on you, Harry.
5: Christmas? Of course. What better time to make your grand entrance?
6: You're not making any sense.
5: Listen to me. Where did we see this? Someone was wearing something that looked like the design inside this paperweight. It was a ring or a necklace or some piece of jewelry.
6: I don't... Wait. Yes. It's right in front of me.
5: Think. This is important.
6: I don't like the way you're talking to me. If it was so important, why didn't you remember it?
5: I'm the guy who just put it all together. Think about it. Remember Clyde's office? Was there something there? Did Ernest take any pictures? I don't remember. I do. Remember the note Clyde left?
6: Do you still have it?
5: No. The cops took it back when they arrested me. But remember, there were three drawings on it. Something that looked like a record with a deep groove and very tight spokes. And there was a blobbish thing like this. Right!
6: I remember that. And your name.
5: And the numbers, 241240. That was the part number of Santa's arm as well. How could I have missed this?
6: 241240? I don't...
5: Christmas Eve, 1940. We're one of the few nations who puts the month first on the date. 12 24 40. In Europe they would show the date as 24 12 40. 241240. The note wasn't a suicide note. Clyde was trying to tell me something. What? The thing that looked like an ink stain could have been one of the Cephs.
6: Wow. Tarzan would be proud of that leap. Am I supposed to believe that squid men are planning to take over the world? Possibly. More moonshine talking, Harry?
5: You see the world through a very limited palette. There are things out there. You know all those stories we were told as kids?
6: You mean fairy tales.
5: See, depending on how I answer you, you're going to discount everything else I say, which would be sad and possibly dangerous. Or you're going to think I'm crazy.
6: Are you trying to tell me there is a big bad wolf?
5: Well, Little Red, in a manner of speaking, I am.
6: Oh. (laughs) Oh, Harry, you really had me going there for a second. You're serious.
5: Have you ever seen something out of the corner of your eye, and then you look directly for it, and there's nothing there? Who hasn't? Right. We catch glimpses into the unnatural order all the time. Kids are great at seeing the world as it really is. They know the monster under the bed may be real. They believe in angels, demons, God. Not in a marginal, Sunday, go-to-meeting way, but in a real, corporeal way.
6: There are angels right here, in this room?
5: Not at the moment.
6: But if there were, you could see them?
5: Yes, because I know where to look. Not just angels, either. Demons, vampires, werewolves, cephalopods. You saw the cephs. You can deny it, but you saw them.
6: Harry, I appreciate all you've done, but this is a bit much for a girl to take in one night. Let's sleep on it. I'll uh, call you in the morning after my uh, interview with Tesla. <sighs>
5: I'll walk you to the door. No,
6: that's okay. I'll find my way out. I lay in bed listening to the music from the radio. I hadn't been completely honest with Harry earlier. I did remember the Cephs attacking me and Harry coming to my rescue. But I couldn't accept that this was part of anything as grandiose as angels, demons, or aliens from outer space. It seemed all too loopy. I missed my friend Ernie. Why kill him? What could he have seen? Did Clyde kill him? So many questions. Doubt I'll ever know the answer. Why, cephalopods, squidmen, good lord, what have I gotten into? That horrible night, playing repeatedly in my head. They acted as if they were going to eat me. Wow, how am I supposed to get to sleep with that on my mind? Imagine being eaten by squids the size of men. That is too disturbing. Fish, food... Good thing Harry showed up. Too bad those other two got away. Or maybe not. It could have ended poorly if the Sephs had... ...had... ...Harry... ...more outnumbered. Oh my god! There were two others! One said they had to go to a test and... ...then the explosion started! Harry's right! It is the Sephs! I don't know if it's an invasion, but they are planning something! I've got to tell Harry! Damn it! I need to get to the payphone in the hall! Great! The only phone on my floor was in use by Mr. Mangelli. Mr. Mangelli, please! I have to make a call! It's very important! Mr. Mangelli's eyes rolled back in his head and blood squirted out of his mouth! I was overwhelmed by the scent of fish!
3: Hello, Yeda. We have unfinished business.
6: No! Get away! I felt ice water flowing into my body, then everything went.
1: It's an amazing night here at the New Yorker Hotel in festive Midtown. Dignitaries from all walks of life are here tonight. Hollywood stars light up the red carpet with their million dollar smiles. They're waving to the crowd. Another limousine has just pulled up, folks. It looks. Wait, yes? It's Crooner and Bobby Soxer's favorite, Frank Sinatra. And oh my word. A statuesque blonde. Strike that. Two statuesque blondes. I'll never smile again as certainly smiling now. It looks like the mayor of New York City and the governor of New York State are walking toward me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's a barrage to the rich and famous. And why? Because the Christmas Eve ball at the New Yorker is known world-round for its excess and lavish mirthfulness. But that's not all. This year will be the unveiling of physicist Nikola Tesla's latest invention. I was in the lobby
5: of the New Yorker Hotel. I was starting to worry about Poppy. She was supposed to call me this afternoon, and so far she was missing in action. Maybe I scared her a little last night. It scared me when I first heard about the unnatural world. The blank stares of the mechanical Santas followed me through the lobby. Those things were everywhere. Thanks to the newspaper's surprising agreement to sit on the Penn Station story, most of the party-goers weren't worried that there may be maniacal automatons in their presence. Me, on the other hand... I was keeping my eye on these overgrown tinker toys. Their first one of them that got out of the line was getting a special slug from my forty five. The staircase and hallway leading to Tesla's room were lined with Santas, almost as if they were soldiers. A uniformed patrolman stood at Tesla's door. Just going in to check on Mr. Tesla. The local cops weren't too pleased with me working security. Eh, truth be told, neither was I. But I knew the answers to everything, including Clyde's hanging, were here somewhere. Working security gave me carte blanche. Unfortunately, other than the creepy Santas, I hadn't seen anything out of the ordinary. Tesla's room was as immaculate and meticulous as Sister Mary Margaret's office back at Our Lady of Perpetual Sorrow's school for boys. A roll-top desk was empty. I gently gave a tug on one of the drawers. Locked. One of the new-styled office phones was squared with the corner of the desk. A writing pad with a pin in the center lay to the phone's left. There were a couple of writing impressions, but nothing I could make out.
4: May I help
5: you? I spun. Standing before me was a tall, gaunt man with white hair. Mr. Tesla, no, I was just... Trying to read my notes. No, sir. Well, okay, yes. I mean, you're Nikola Tesla... What kind of notes do you take? As I understand it, you have a photographic memory. I'm sorry, my name is Harry Strange. I'm part of your security team. I reached to shake his hand, but he stepped back. Uh, no, I, I don't shake hands. Miss Crow should have mentioned that.
4: True enough, I do possess a photographic memory. As I recall, your real name is Chase. Your brother, Quin Chase, told me fantastic stories about your encounters with vampires. They are not really undead, you know. It is my supposition they suffer from a virus that enhances their strength and their virility. This superhuman strength requires an influx of blood. Imagine if you could isolate properties of their blood and synthesize the strength and endurance you could build a race of superior
5: men and women. With all due respect, Mr. Tesla, a race of humans with vampire tendencies would be a bad thing. They're still demons. A close cousin to humans, true, but demons nonetheless. Ah, bah.
4: Demons. You look like a moderately intelligent man. You don't expect me to believe you accept those medieval superstitions. Aliens, perhaps, but demons? Horned beasts of Hades? That is unlikely. You believe in aliens? How can I not? I have seen no evidence to the contrary. Of all the worlds out there, doesn't it seem a commodious conceit of homo sapiens that we would be the only beings in the universe? Well, I suppose.
5: Have you ever heard of Captainu?
12: Nicola, it's getting late. We have to get your bowtie around your neck. Is Mr. Strange bothering you?
4: Oh, not at all, Miss Cross. We are just talking about aliens.
5: Azar was a vision. Her black evening dress clung to every curve of her body like a custom roadster on a mountain track.
12: Aliens. You boys and your imagination.
4: You should not dismiss so quickly a possibility that still exists well within the realm of reality.
12: Like those dreadful creatures from Orson Welles?
4: H.G. Oh, Wells, my dear. Or perhaps something from uh, another dimension. Or cephalopods.
12: Excuse me, Mr. Strange?
4: Yes even cephalopods.
12: squids. How dreadful. Why would you think of such a thing?
4: Azar, Mr. Strange has had encounters with beings we can only imagine.
11: Ah, Azar, there you are, with Mr. Strange again. I need to speak with you about some final arrangements.
4: What about you, my Russian ice queen? What do you imagine aliens from outer space to resemble?
5: Ice queen or not, Natalia was all gams and globes in her fire engine red evening gown and matching bumps.
11: Bah! (laughs) Aliens. I don't waste my thoughts with fairy tales like monsters from space or angels in heaven. You should be thinking about the demonstration tonight, not some tentacle-bearing beast from the ether.
5: What is this demonstration tonight?
11: Oh, my greatest invention. The Charlie, p- Mr. Strange, has some security things to do. I am uncomfortable with someone of his level having such familiarity with Mr. Tesla. Natalia,
12: must you be so
10: bold?
5: It's not a problem, Lazar. I should get down to the main room. One thing before I leave. Mr. Tesla, how did the interview with Miss Harlow go today? I'm sorry, I
4: don't...
12: Miss Harlow didn't make it for the interview. Nor did she call to cancel.
11: I hope she's okay. (laughs) Another soft and pampered sorority girl.
5: That's not like her. I'll check in on her.
11: You won't be deserting your post tonight, I trust.
12: I am sure we can spare Mr. Strange for an hour or so, if he needs to go.
5: Thank you, Azar. I appreciate that.
2: I heard you, Strange. But I don't think I have
5: a man I can spare right now. This is important. I have a feeling that something may have happened to Poppy.
2: I've got half the force here, Strange. The mayor and the chief are both in attendance. I really can't send someone off on one of your
5: hunches. Why don't you go? Because I have a worse feeling that something bad is going to happen here.
2: With all these police...
5: I think it's going to be more of an unnatural type of bad. What is Tesla unveiling tonight?
2: How should I know? It's up on the roof.
5: And you haven't gone to look?
2: Tesla has his own security force on the top three floors. I'm up to my ass and drunken chimpanzees as it is. I really don't have the time for the toys of some mad scientist.
5: Has it occurred to you that these toys may be what killed Dex? And why Clyde was killed?
2: I can't talk to you about our ongoing investigations. Especially since you're one of my primary suspects
5: in at least one of those cases. Are you going to send a man to check on Poppy? I'll see what I can do. Thank you. Hey, where are you going? I'm going to see what's on the roof. Which was easier said than done. I made it past the police level with just a tip of my hat. At the next level were two guards and their boss. And by guards, I mean mugs who looked like button men for the local mobsters. But these weren't any Brunos I knew. I tried the direct approach. Hello, gentlemen. Where do you think you are going, Yeda? Just heading upstairs. Mr. Tesla asked me to check on his device. You're lying, yedah. Not sure about Yeda, but Harry doesn't lie. Well, not all the time. Look, pal, I'm just trying to do my job. Miss Cross hired me to work security. What's wrong with your eyes?
3: My human skin is having a difficult time covering
5: my exoskeleton. Does that make sense to you, Yeda? In fact, it does. You need to step back. You're starting to crowd me. Am I? What if I don't step back? My hand in my jacket pocket wrapped around my dagger of Yago. You been working on the docks, pal? You reek of day-old fish.
3: Perhaps you and I should take a walk. Perhaps you should try a bar
5: of soap. You will...
11: Harry Strange! What are you doing here?
5: Oh, great. The Russian Ice Queen found me. I was heading upstairs to make sure everything was firing on all sixes.
11: That is not possible. Or necessary. Dimitri's men have that under control.
5: I was just explaining
3: that to Mr. Strange.
11: (laughs) Mr. Strange is confused about his responsibilities for Mr. Tesla. I should let Dimitri and his men rough you up a bit. It would serve you right and teach you some manners. But Miss Cross would like to see you, and I don't have time to wait.
5: Dimitri looked confused as Natalia put her hand on my elbow and led me away. You want to tell me what's going on?
11: Shut up, Dorak! Idiot! Before you get us both killed.
5: I stole a quick glance over my shoulder. Dmitri was staring at me with his grossly misshapen eyes. Russian secret police? Aren't we on the same side?
11: Not the police. The People's Ministry of Scientific Affairs and no, Mr. Strange... Officially, we are aligned with the Axis powers, though there are many of us who do not trust Hitler. Regardless, that is not my mission.
5: What is your mission?
11: My mission is my business.
5: Are those mugs out there your boys?
11: Those mugs are svinja. Pigs. And they aren't human. You don't seem surprised. Why is that?
5: My mission is my business.
11: It's going to be difficult to work together if you keep things from me.
5: Oh, are we partners now? Okay, partner, tell me, what does Yeda mean? Food. Food? Well, that doesn't make any sense. Wait, are you kidding? He was gonna eat
11: me? They are aliens. The People's Ministry of Science has known about them for decades. This is the first time we've encountered an invasion on such a grand scale.
5: Sorry, I'm a bit put off by Dimitri and the rest of his squid-headed friends' gastrointestinal pleasures.
11: Why did you call them squid-heads?
5: Because I've killed three of them. Well, two, technically. You
11: killed three. Perhaps I am wrong about you.
5: We have a common enemy. Unless you have a platoon of Ivans on 38th Street, I'm all you got. Tonight's the night and you aren't getting any younger, toots. It's time to share. What's the play?
11: You are correct. They are planning something big for tonight. We don't know what, but it is somehow tied to the machine upstairs. You need to get up there and put this in A modified fragmentation anti-armor explosive.
5: Won't this kill everyone up there?
11: Only those within 15 to 20 feet of the blast zone. Collateral damage? It will tear through the device like parchment paper. Normally it is launched from shoulder-mounted device. I've modified this model to explode via a remote detonator.
5: Where's the detonator?
11: Somewhere no one will get it without losing a hand.
5: She tapped her necklace. The bottom part was hidden between her breasts. I'm sure of that. Why not place this yourself?
11: Because you have another interest to get up there. That is an explosive device. Do you mind not twirling it like baton? Right. They are holding your friend in the utility room on the roof. Poppy? What a ridiculous name for a grown woman. Yes, Poppy.
5: How do you know that?
11: I was on the roof last night making some adjustments to the device when Dimitri and his lackeys showed up. I hid behind the machine. They had your friend with them. I think she was drugged. A suggested asking the Cineshell what to do with her.
5: What or who is the Cineshell? Is it Tesla?
11: I don't know. It could be anyone. I believe they were somehow feeding Tesla the data to complete the device. From the math I saw, I believe the device will open an interdimensional portal.
5: They plan to bring something through?
11: Da, Something big and dangerous. They are going to get their alien master. His geometry and physiology is unlike anything you've seen. Our weapons will possibly be ineffectual against them. It is imperative you place the explosive near the center of the machine.
5: I'll set the explosive and get Poppy out of there. All you need to do is point me toward the fastest way to the roof.
11: At the end of this hallway is a fire escape. Take that to the roof. Be careful to whom you speak. My comrades tell me this infiltration has many human sympathizers like Clyde. There isn't any telling who is on your side
5: just another day in the park for me, Natalia. Does Azar know about this? The aliens?
11: Unless it is something she can use to generate investors, Azar doesn't concern herself with it.
5: Don't you think we should tell her?
11: Duh. I will try to speak to her before the event. You go. Save your girlfriend. Plant the warhead.
5: She's not my girl. Where should we meet?
11: In front of the machine at 9.15.
5: Getting on the roof was easy. I only ran into one cephalopod. I used my dagger, so it was a quiet but messy kill. Getting across the roof to save Poppy was going to be challenging. There were a couple of men milling about. On the far side of the roof, the housekeeping crew had set up bleacher-like stands. Beams of light from industrial-sized spotlights crisscrossed the sky as if they were marking the spot for some celestial arrival. I ran from the safety of the vent I had been hiding behind to the next closest cover, an exhaust pipe. The utility shed was about 40 feet to my right.
6: All I could see was darkness. Slats along one wall of the room offered some intermittent light. I stumbled around until I found the doorknob. Of course it was locked. They were squid heads, not chowder heads. Can't blame a girl for trying. I felt around the room. A couple of cans that felt like paint gallons. Some brushes. Some long wooden sticks. Ew. Something wet. And foul smelling. Well, hello, good-looking. What have we here? It was long, flat, and curved at one end. Just what a girl needs to break out of a utility shed. I stumbled back over to the doorknob. I jammed the crowbar into the spot where the doorknob met the door and started to push inward. Damn it! I reversed and started to pull towards me. Son of a... Okay, let's think about this. The door opens outward, so I would want to pry in the direction of the door door one more time yes come on capital it opened i was free
5: get inside get inside
6: my gray-eyed hero was running towards me two of the sefs close behind
5: get in there hurry close the door
6: you've got to be jacking me
5: i mean it poppy now go
6: I jumped back into the utility room, jerking the door closed behind me. Ah! I couldn't see what was happening, but it sounded like a Donnybrook
5: of biblical proportions. You're going to have to do better than... Oh, God, you smell. Say goodnight, you ugly chunk of calamari. That was a little too close. It stinger punched a hole through the metal door. Damn, it's fast.
6: I opened the door a bit. Two dead squid heads lay on the ground in front of the door. I had to struggle against them to open the door enough to fit my head through. Harry's gun was on the ground. I don't even know why he bothered carrying one. I picked it up and put it in my pocket. I spotted Harry by the bleachers. He and a squid were fighting in hand to tentacle combat. Harry had a dagger in one hand. He briefly looked at me and the Ceph slapped him, drawing blood. Harry said something inaudible. He stepped back. The squid drew his tentacles inward and then lunged forward. Harry stepped in to meet the squid while at the same time flicking his wrist upward. The Ceph stopped and looked down at his stomach. Suddenly, all of his viscera spilled out. I was gonna be sick. What do you think they're going to do when they see what you did to their squid heads?
5: They won't see, unless they go into the utility shed.
6: Which is where Dimitri thinks I am. That will probably be the first place he goes.
5: Well, if Natalia can detonate her warhead, they should have their hands full with panicked guests. Are you almost finished?
6: I was cleaning a cut running from Harry's eye to the bottom of his neck. The odd thing was that it seemed to be healing while I watched.
5: Really, that's not necessary. I heal quickly.
6: I know. Clean living.
5: Well, that and being touched by an angel. Come on, I want to get at least two floors between us and whatever that device is.
6: He took me by the hand and we headed toward the fire escape. You realize we are over thirty stories up.
5: Don't be such a girl. It's not that windy. Come on, step lively. Just toss your leg over the side of the roof.
6: A blue-windowed room running the length of the building was opposite us. Next to the door was a mechanical Santa Claus. I looked a little further. Another Santa stood silently. Around the roof, Santas were placed about ten feet apart. Look at all the Santas!
5: I know. Ho, ho, ho.
6: Do you really think the... What did you call their leader? The Seneschal? Will allow anyone off the roof even if the plan fails?
5: I've got this covered. Trust me.
6: Only a fool or a bimbo believes a man when he says, trust me. Do I look like either of those? Electric lights made the roof as bright as a summer's day in the park.
5: Crap. Come this way.
6: Harry started to throw his leg over the side of the wall and stopped.
5: Damn it. They have men on the fire escape a couple of levels down.
6: Did they see you?
5: I don't think so. Let's try to get to those exhaust pipes.
6: We duck-walked to the pipes just as Dimitri and his men entered the roof. Dimitri looked around and, for a moment, it was almost as if he looked right at me. He motioned for his men to look around the roof. When they returned, he and Afanasi walked to the utility shed.
5: You got a plan? Why do I always have to have the plan? Really? I'm kidding. I'm working on it.
6: You may want to work faster.
5: We have
3: a problem. She didn't do this herself. Someone is helping her. Here is trains? Who else? Should we call off the advent? No. The advent continues as planned. Athanu will come through and begin his reign tonight. Go start the machine. The guests will be arriving shortly. Yes, Dimitri. Should we notify the men on the lower levels? Why? To look for the Yeda and Harry Strange. They are both Yeda. Every human on this planet is Yeda, including the Seneschal. But no, Afanasi. It isn't necessary to notify the others, is it? What?
5: I'm not talking to you. You're right, Dimitri. No need to alert the others.
6: While Dmitri and Afanasy were talking, Harry had slowly worked his way toward the utility shed. Now he stood to their side, putting their backs to me.
3: Mr. Strange, you are persistent, like a rash that won't go away. Like a fish hook through the cheek? I wouldn't know. I've never had a fish hook through my
5: cheek. Don't count it out. The night is young. I think I have most of it figured out, but a couple of questions are still bouncing around in my noodle. Of all the
3: humans, you're the one who knows what's going on? I'm smarter than
5: I look. Pardon me if I don't believe you. Would you like me to prove it? Please. It all started with John Clyde. His company needed money. He was near bankruptcy at the start of the year. One of your squid heads approached Clyde and offered him some seed money. He was more than willing to accept the funding. Someone helped him develop the remote control system. It wasn't until your little test at Penn Station that Clyde realized he was in way over his head. The reporter discovered what you were up to. He must have told you about Poppy and Danny. One of your squids visited Danny and strangled him. You found Poppy and you thought you had finished her. And you would have, if not for the arrival of our handsome hero. Instead, your chums became chum.
3: You are very
5: clever, Mr. Strange. Please hurry it along, though.
3: Afanasi has started the machine.
5: Why go through all this? I mean, you guys are already here. Why do you need such an elaborate plan to bring your god over? We've
3: always been here. We were ancient when you climbed out of the ooze. The God of Hebrews imprisoned Kathanu in a dimension slightly out of phase with this one. The machine will bring the two dimensions together long enough for Kathanu and his major-domo to
11: enter. I thought I told you to stop bothering Dimitri and his men.
5: We were just chatting.
11: Dimitri, please, accept my apologies. I will see him escorted out of the building this time. Come.
5: No!
3: He stays. I want him to see the power of Tesla's, I mean, our greatest invention, the phase shifter.
6: The crowd filtered in through the single door of the glass room. The Santas started moving and playing Christmas music as the guests made their way to the seats in the bleachers. It was a regular street festival up here. I saw Lieutenant Swift, my editor and chauvinist, Larry Stanley, the assistant editor from the Chronicle. Tesla entered and, with a frail gait, made his way to the front of the bleachers.
3: Natalia, aren't you supposed to make the announcements? Yes. Then you should go to the rostrum now. Oh, Vates, there's been a slight change to your presentation.
11: What? I haven't had a chance to review this. This doesn't make any sense. Why would I say this? Just do as you're told, Natalia.
3: Get on stage. Mr. Strange, front row,
5: shall we? I would love to, Dimitri. I want to see how this ends. Mr. Strange, I promise you,
3: you will see the ending.
6: It was a who's who of the rich and powerful at this Christmas Eve extravaganza. Several mayors from the New York and New Jersey area were hobnobbing with actors, socialites, and industrialists. I wondered how many of them knew what was about to happen. I wasn't sure if I knew what was about to happen.
4: Oh, oh, oh. Merry Christmas. Oh, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Oh, oh, ho. ho, ho. Merry Merry Christmas. The Santas were entertaining,
6: performing oh, simple oh, tricks and wishing oh, the guests, by Merry name, a Merry Christmas. Christmas. Oh, oh, I stayed near the back, Merry
9: well out of sight Christmas. from anyone who oh, might mean me harm. Oh, oh,
6: Afanasi Merry sat in a small Christmas. chair under the bleachers, manipulating some type of controls, probably for the mechanical Santas.
7: Oh,
6: Harry was sitting in the front row, oh, oh, next to Dimitri Merry and a couple Christmas. of seats over from Lieutenant Swift. I started to work my way around to be on the other side of the phase shifter and across from Harry. I felt Harry's gun in my jacket pocket. I was ready to make like Louis Armstrong and improvise. Natalia walked up to the stage.
11: Ladies and gentlemen, please, your attention. Tonight we welcome the return of two great men. These men know of sacrifice, of what it means to give all for belief in oneself. One of these men is sitting right there. Mr. Tessa. The other man... Well, I, I'm not worthy to, to speak his name. I, I am sorry, ladies and gentlemen. These are, are not the notes I had prepared.
6: No, they are not. Azar stepped onto the stage. She was wearing a black and red diaphanous gown that left little to the imagination. Scandalous was an understatement. Azar... Ah,
12: what are you? My name is not Azar. You, all of you, shall call me by my rightful title. I am the seneschal of Katanu. You will all bow before me, the high priestess of the new religion.
11: I, I think you are having a breakdown, Azar. Come,
12: come with me. Don't touch me. A demonstration of the power of Katanu!
6: to St. Joseph's, I turned to look. Several of the mechanical Santas walked to the edge of the building. They shook their bell arms. Ho, ho, ho.
11: Merry
0: Christmas.
6: Good Lord! The Santas
12: destroyed St. Joe's. Sit. By my decree, sit. All of you, fear not. For as long as you pledge your devotion to Katanu, you will suffer least.
5: Okay, I think someone has a savior complex. Let's everyone stay calm. Zar, sashay yourself over here, sweetheart.
12: Mr. Strange, how wonderful that you are here to witness the advent of the new god!
5: Really? Your god is going to show up on Christmas Eve? Is that just irony or part of your grand illusion?
12: It is symbolic. What better day to show your false god and all of his worshippers that Katanu is the one true god! It is glorious! For thousands of years he suffered just slightly out of phase with this dimension, sent there by your jealous god. Prepare for Katanu's great and terrible rat. With the flip of the switch, I open the
2: portal!
5: Is it just me, or does anyone else smell insanity? Lieutenant Swift, perhaps arresting the crazy woman would be a good idea?
2: Sit down, Strange!
5: Look around, Mr. Strange. Not everyone here is surprised are you jacking me you're part of this madness swift
2: of course you think i would have kept a lid on manic santa claus's otherwise this is bigger than anything you've ever seen strange there's a new sheriff in town and he doesn't take prisoners i wouldn't move if i were you
5: 23 laser beam shooting santas and you pull a 38 on me you're right this is crazy swift whatever they promised you is a lie their god doesn't take prisoners or humans he takes sacrifices You're just food. Yeda to them.
2: Officer, please cuff Mr. Strange. Shoot him if he doesn't cooperate.
6: Enough of this! Natalia pulled the detonator from the front of her dress. Dimitri turned into a Ceph and stretched one tentacle 15 feet between him and Natalia. You are all deluded mystics. My... His tentacles tightened on Natalia's neck, her eyes bulging from the pressure. With her thumb, she tried to push the button on the detonator, but another tentacle pulled the device from her hand. The veins on her head started to swell and rupture, and then... Dimitri's tentacles cut through her neck, severing her head. It hit the stage and rolled toward the machine, coming to rest at Azar's feet. People in the crowd who started to run were cut down by the Santas before they made it more than five feet. Harry grabbed the officer who was trying to arrest him and pulled the officer's gun. He pointed the gun at Lieutenant Swift.
5: Let's all calm down. Swift, handcuff yourself. Dimitri, if I even get the whiff of fish, I'll put a bullet in the Seneschal. How will you do that and keep your gun on me? Shut up and put on the cuffs. No. I will shoot you, Swift. As far as the queen over there? Poppy!
6: I stood up, holding Harry's forty-five. Years of hunting with my father were about to pay off. I leveled the sights at his This is crazy! You will all die! The
12: Major Domo approaches!
5: Azar, I'm guessing you're needed for a more intimate part of the advent. Pretty sure shooting you will bring an end to all of this, am I right? You
3: think you have it all
5: figured out, don't you, Strange? I'll take that as a yes. I never get tired of being right. And you'd think I would as often as I am. So what's your plan, Strange? Well, first thing is to turn off the machine.
6: I will not allow it! I shifted the forty-five and fired at the machine!
5: Whoa! Easy there, Pops. That was close. As you can see, Azar, my little Poppy means business. Okay, here's what we're going to do.
3: Mr. Strange, excuse me. What? Poppy, please shoot Mr. Strange. What?
6: Oh, no! The sting in the hallway last night! I couldn't stop myself! My hand holding the gun started to turn towards Harry!
3: Our venom can kill a human, or it can make them an obedient drone. Guess which I did
5: to Poppy. Poppy, what are you doing?
6: I'm trying to resist, Harry. I can't. My finger is squeezing the trigger. Poppy, no. Oh my god. Oh my god.
3: Azza, seneschal. Please forgive the interruption. Do continue.
6: I dropped the gun and leaned back against the wall. I shook my head. I killed Harry and we were all going to be food for an elder god now. The clouds above us began to come together and swirl faster and faster until they seemed to create a hole in the sky. I craned my neck to see, oh my god, the other side of the hole was dark and wrong. There wasn't another way to describe it. I felt chills and my stomach went queasy. The crowd, even the true believers, started to move away from the hole. I assume this was the portal opening Azar had talked about.
3: Swift, have your men get this crowd
2: under control, or I will have Afanasi kill them with the Santa Clauses. You, officer, stop them. Fire to the crowd if you need to.
6: The sound of footsteps from the portal brought everyone to a stop. I guess it is in human nature to see what is hiding in the darkness, what secret the abyss holds. Azar had removed her gown and stood there in nature's own.
12: Come to me! Major Domo, I am the Seneschal of the Most High, the Handmaiden of the God. Together we shall welcome Captaino into his
6: new kingdom. The Major Domo arrived. Whatever he was, he was nothing that belonged on this side of the portal. He looked like a tree with appendages that were no more substantial than tendrils of smoke. At the top of his trunk was a mouth shaped like a football, with rows of jutting, triangular teeth. When he opened his mouth, another smaller mouth lay inside, and another smaller inside that. He paused at the portal, looking at us with eyes that lined his torso. His effect on the crowd was immediate. Some people, the chosen ones or traitors, fell prostrate. Both crying and praising him, others attacked those next to them. Still others tore out their own throats, this madness would eventually spread to the rest of the world because I had killed our only hope. Yes! Yes! He is beautiful! He
12: is second only to
6: continue! When the Major domo was completely on our side of the portal, he paused and looked around with his eight eyes. He raised a tentacle and a single strand floated away like a whiff of cigarette smoke getting caught in a fan. Only it didn't dissipate. It floated gently, hypnotically towards the crowd. Larry Stanley, my editor, and one of the traitors reached out and plucked it from its path. It's beautiful no!
8: What's happening?
3: My hand! It's burning!
6: It's, it's starting to turn
3: no. Larry's hand
6: started to liquefy. His wrist and arm took on the consistency of ground meat. Shoot, shoot them, damn it! Shoot them! When the officer standing next to the lieutenant didn't move fast enough, The lieutenant pulled the officer's rifle out of his hands and began firing into the crowd. He needn't have bothered. The Santas also started firing into the crowd. There was smoke and carnage everywhere. People were screaming and running for their lives. A few had jumped from the roof rather than face what was before them. I was witnessing the end of the world. I knew that any action I took wouldn't turn the tide of these horrific events. But I was going to kill someone tonight, and that someone's name was Dimitri. First, though... I would have to get my mind back. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar. Field and fountain, moor and mountain. Cowards! This is your new god! You should be bowing before him, not running! I will cut you
2: all down! What the hell?
6: Falling yonder star, oh, star of wonder, star of night. Star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. I must have been delusional, because I thought I saw Harry. But that couldn't be. I put a slug from his forty-five into him.
5: It's Christmas Eve, a night of miracles, Lieutenant.
6: Wait, what did he tell me? He had been touched by an angel? Oh my God, it was true. You're dead, Strange. Get away
2: from me.
5: Maybe I'm a ghost. There
2: there aren't any ghosts.
5: There's a giant tree thing over there with eight eyes, and you're going to quibble about ghosts? Priorities, Lieutenant. Now, give me that rifle, you low-life maniac. You're a disgrace to every police officer who ever wore a uniform.
2: I'll be a disgrace who is alive in my God's new kingdom. Hey, you can't
5: take that from me. That's where you're wrong. I can take it. Good night, sweet prince.
6: Harry smashed the lieutenant's face with the butt of the rifle. Swift tumbled backwards, slipping from the bleachers and landing on top of Larry. The lieutenant immediately began to liquefy.
5: As for you, Mr. Major Domo... Crap! He's absorbing the bullets.
6: The Majordomo turned away from Harry and looked at Azar. She lay naked, her arms stretched toward him like a lover. The Majordomo released a waif like strand at Azar.
3: Puppy, shoot Harry Strange!
6: I started to raise my gun at Harry, but I fought back, singing so Dimitri could hear me. A star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, whisper leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. You must obey. Shoot him! No! No! Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Stop singing that horrible song! It was working. The compulsion to obey wasn't as strong. I looked around for Harry. I guess he wasn't taking any chances. I didn't see him anywhere. No! No!
12: I am supposed to be venerated among all humans!
6: Dimitri and I both turned toward the stage. The strand from the Major Domo fell across Azar's chest, instantly burning into her. Spider webs of veins began to bulge around her breasts and upper body.
12: I did everything you asked! The sacrifices, the murders! I changed that last night, so he thought that face shifters was his idea. Get away from me!
6: The Major Domo was almost on top of Azar. Her chest began to splotch, turning red and purple, then blister thick strands of yellow-black pus slowly oozing from them. The Major Domo stood, loaded. It was difficult to say over Azar who was still thrashing and trying to escape. The tendrils of flesh on the lower part of the Major Domo gripped Azar's lower legs.
12: I was promised!
6: The upper part of her body was little more than hamburger in a pus-filled fluid of purple and black. Yet she lived! The major domo's mouths opened, and a translucent proboscis extended, pulsating, snake-like, toward a czar's chest. No! 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 Through the semi-transparent skin of the prow, the major domo sucked in parts of a czar. No! Help me!
2: Please
6: help me! The major domo stopped sucking and turned towards the portal. The shadow of Katanu approached. Something tightened around my neck!
3: That's right, Kita. Feel my tentacles choking your life from you. I don't know how you were able to resist my will. But in a few seconds it won't matter. Oh, I am not for to tasting you. <laughs>
6: He licked my face with a tongue that felt like a thousand slimy worms. Look
3: around you, Yadda. This is how your world ends. The false Hebrew god is nowhere. He is not going to save you or his creation that he loves so much. Glimpse,
6: the new god! The portal filled with a vision that would haunt me until my imminent death. Katanu was part squid, part man, part demon, the stuff of nightmares. The front of his head was hooked into a beak with four eyes lining both sides. The behemoth seemed too large to fit through the portal, but he was trying.
3: You shall die with the vision of the great Katanu in your...
11: your
6: which grip disappeared because Dmitri had exploded. I turned to see what happened. Tesla was standing there covered in fish bits.
4: Oh, I've always hated
6: fish. How did you?
4: My Tesla electroshock gun. It's supposed to incapacitate the neuromuscular system. <laughs> I set it on high.
6: Good call. Oh no, now what? Oh.
4: The mechanical santas are
6: marching toward us. No! 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 The major domo dropped another strand on Azar, and the rest of her body began to liquefy. Katamu was almost through the portal. Get down! Harry was running towards us. He was holding a remote control and pointing it at the santas. Something was wrong, though. There were three hands holding the remote. Oh, Lord! It was Apanasi's hand! Now! Have... God, yeah. god, help me! Harry pressed the button, and the Santas simultaneously fired their lasers at the machine. Do you think they bought that story?
5: That a transformer explosion took off the top three floors of the hotel? Do you think they would have bought an Elder God tried to take over the world using Tesla technology?
6: Good point. Look! Up there! The sky was clear, devoid of all but one star floating above the New Yorker. It was huge, and appeared close enough that we could touch it. The colors were a beautiful prism of light that were astounding and hypnotic. I felt as if I could stare at them for a lifetime.
5: Wow, that is something.
6: Do you think it's a sign?
5: Could be, though most likely it's residual energy left over from the rip between our dimension and the other.
6: Wow, really? You're such a romantic. Harry,
10: remember? humans are not meant to be
5: long. But that doesn't mean it's not a sign. Maybe it's a heavenly gold star for a job well done.
6: I like that. I like that a lot.
5: Well, I guess that's that then. They've taken our statements and Tesla's.
6: Do you think he'll be able to... I mean...
5: Tesla probably has the only mind in New York that could see what he did and not go crazy. He'll be fine.
6: Right. Well, I should get home, I mean... Yeah, me too. Well, good night.
5: Good night. Oh, hey, it's after midnight. So it is. Merry Christmas, Poppy.
6: Merry Christmas, Harry.
5: So, um, do I have to find Mistletoe, or can I just kiss you?
6: Come here, Mr. Strange. We kissed under that unique star on Christmas morning the rest of the world asleep and unaware of how close they had come to witnessing the last Christmas. They would never know the name of the man who had saved them, but I did. And I would share many adventures with this man. You see, not only is this the story of how he defeated an elder god, it's also the story of how I became the first assistant to Harry Strange.
7: Hey guys, Tony Serecki here. Thanks for listening to Christmas in the Strange Verse 2012. I hope you had an enjoyable time with it. I hope you had as much fun with it as we did recording it. Because, you know, nothing says Christmas like Death Rays and Cthulhu is monsters. And yes, I did borrow heavily from the Cthulhu uh, Lovecraft mythology because I've always been a huge fan of that. And I just thought, what better time to bring a Cthulhu-like creature into the world but Christmas. So um, Christmas in the Strange Verse 2012, The Last Christmas, was written by Tony Sereckiou directed by jason tyler and we want to give a shout out to our production assistant on this episode trisha groves um, all material is copyright 2012 by tony serecki and if you want to use it shoot me an email and i'm sure that that will be fine this feature is the too hot for radio players and i mean that sincerely if you haven't gone to our website to look at them oh my goodness this is a hot looking cast um, facebook.com backslash Radio, and you can see what i'm talking about so, And for those of you who are wondering, we do the cast normally in the order of appearance. Now, most of you know Kellen Stennett plays Harry Strange, but his name usually doesn't come in until, like, I don't know, fifth or sixth down the list because we don't always see Harry in the first scene. So this is usually in order of appearance, okay? So that's why. And then a couple of folks have also doubled up, and they've done more than one role, but we're only going to list their name once here. So we had um, Michael Donilon, Brian Troxell, Dave Barry, uh, Barry uh, I'm sorry Barry Barry Piacente Kellen Stennett, Catherine Claypool Tony LaRocca Dante D'Estenzo uh, Craig Johnston Jason Tyler Tish Parmalee uh, Trisha Groves and Parissa Johnson were in the cast and again go visit them on our Facebook page and like their pages because they're all incredibly talented people that you should be watching their careers um, if you want to keep up with our Facebook page it's at Facebook backsl- facebook.com backslash Harry Strange Radio. Or you can send comments, suggestions, and whatever to producer at harrystrange.com. We also have a listener line for you at 678-379-8669. The number again is 678-379-8669. We'd really love to hear from you. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of, and what you'd like to see less of. Harry's opening theme music uh, is changed for this episode and for moving forward. And the new theme is written by Ryan Lassard, and it's copyrighted by Ryan Lassard and used with his permission. Ryan also did a lot of our incidental music and um, noises that you heard in there. And you can contact Ryan at rlassard. that's L-E-S-S-A-R-D music at gmail.com. Incidental music was written and performed by Kevin McLeod. copyright by Kevin, and used with his permission. And you can visit incompatech.com for more of Kevin's music. Um, I also want to give a shout-out here to the people that are behind the scenes and folks that have been with us and support us for the past two years bill cj at ksu radio bob at silly snowman radio of course joanne pruden who's been with me um, through the beginning of this whole process and everyone else especially you guys the listeners right because if we did this for ourselves we would just be you know 12 people in a conference room making each other laugh and we're actually doing it for you so we're doing it for the, the masses that are out there we appreciate every download every comment every like Um, Everything that we hear from you guys, we we do appreciate it. So have a Merry Christmas and a profitable new year, an exciting new year. We'll see you back here in a couple months with the first episode of Season 3. Thank you. Tony Serecki here. Have a great night.
10: The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.